Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Subi alongside me today is the shark. You going to keep clicking so that people can, can, can hear this shark? I'll just take it easy for a second. That's my click? That's or is that your click? Oh, that's your click. Why not click, click, you click. Um, Dark back. That's my click? All right. Sorry. Yeah. That's your click. Why don't you just take it easy for about two seconds or put yourself on mute. Yeah, do that hypersensitive microphone on this computer I got here. I'm going to mute it, though. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, Bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. You can be sure to find them. Good soaps. Good soaps. Okay, Good soaps. It's been a while, but good soaps, man. Did you re-up? Not yet. Still working through the first batch that I got. Really good, though. Good soaps. Good. Since we're on the topic of cleaning products, I'd like to just say that I'm done with Tide. Now, look, them losing me as a customer is probably nothing. I can appreciate that. I'm done with Tide, though. I have one of those Tide cleaners, the the lockers that I can just put my dry cleaning in. Completely bundled this situation. They lost my suit jacket. Aren't reimbursing me for the, for the full price of the suit jacket. Well, hold on. You don't go to you don't bring your suits to a dry cleaner. Well, what they do? All I have to do is oh. drop it in the Tide locker. This is a city living, baby. Okay. Drop it in the Tide locker. I mean, but so is like up. dry cleaners in general. Like that's. You see, I mean, when I was living in D.C., I lived above a cleaners. It's just cleaners and big neon lights. It doesn't have to have a name to it. It just says cleaners. There's a million of those in every single city. Look, I can appreciate that, but this this is a small business. You're you're feeding the big corporations over there. I mean, give back to the community. Now I will. I mean, for the sake of me not having to put on real pants or real shirt, even like loafers or putting on real shoes, I could just I used to be able to just toss it in the in the uh, locker. But they lost my suit jacket, which isn't just a shirt. If it was just a regular shirt, I'd still I'd still work with them. Very expensive suit jacket did not fully reimburse me. Um, And then the check that they did send decimal was off. They they gave me twenty five dollars back. Clearly incorrect. I mean, so I'm just, it's been a frustrating experience with Tide. So done with them. Uh, if you want any other clean, I don't know if Beach House Soaps does does dry cleaning, does anything like that, but we're on the topic of it. Uh, yeah, Beach House I mean, soaps you can't soap. go from soap to dry cleaning a soup jack. I feel like a dry cleaning by nature is a very difficult task. That's why there's stores that are built just to do it. 
I don't know. I don't know the science and everything that goes behind dry cleaning, but it doesn't seem like anything I can do in my own apartment or in my own home. You know, you got to outsource that to someone that is a professional. Well, clearly, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm doing my best here to make some sort of connection. There I mean, is you're no sticking you're between. sticking your stuff in a locker, dude. You're sticking yourself in a YMCA locker and hoping for the best, and you're getting decimal points thrown back at you, back at you wrong. This is not on me. This is I mean, there's I, there's legitimate tied dry cleaning what? places like a brick and mortar tied dry cleaner. There is. Send me a link. Yeah, that's I the point that I'm making. Friend. Send me a link. That's the point that I'm making. But anyway, uh, your college hooper of the week this week. Brandon Dawson, former forward from Michigan State University. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's v-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. for sore eyes the big guy's back welcome back you down in florida i am in florida right now i i mean you know how i get in the summer father you know i got i go on the sabbatical i take some time i recoup i regroup um and then i get ready for the season so you know for this show right here you know just consider this an extended rep i'm just getting a rep in uh you know it's still it's not even october yet so we got about a month a little over a month month and a half until we can really start locking into a lot of these games. So this is a, this could be sloppy. I could slump, uh, you know, I have some bad takes um, very rare for me to have those, but in the event that I do, it's because I'm not in mid season form, uh, but this is just a rep, you know, I want to make sure I can get in there, you know, uh, you know, run the football a little bit with you here and see what happens. I'm glad to have you back. Yeah. First, would you guys discuss all summer? I, I'm, the goal was to get as many interview people as possible. And we actually hit that goal. I think the only episode we didn't have someone was sometime in July. There was only one time. So, you know, obviously it's not a very tall task, but two episodes per month. I think we did a pretty good job about getting some, some guests on. So that's exactly why I wanted to do it because if there's one sport where there's just not enough fodder to go around all year, it's probably college basketball. No, so I college agree. basketball and hockey. 
we had you know, we had to create our own offense. You have to do it at least in, in this game that we we're doing right now, which is and I'm saying the we the proverbial we for me and you, even though you did most of the work, if not all the work. But last summer was we did we did the countdown, we did the manifesto. So that was a lot of that was a lot of man hours that we did. This summer is bringing in interview guests. Hopefully, we got one here today. But and I listened to all the ones that you had throughout the summer. Really terrific guests. Uh, I just didn't listen to the takes that you or Taylor had after the fact, you know, I don't really want to listen to any of that stuff. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, even in season, sometimes they, they can be a little bit too much. We didn't really have many takes though. I think last episode we talked a little bit about the recruits that Memphis and, and Kentucky got. I mean, we were, we were comparing a model Bates. Yeah. As a guy, like beginning to worry a little bit here. I mean, Petty still couldn't coach a, uh, a YMCA team, but I mean, sometimes, Talent, talent work lives out right there. Monty Bates and uh, who's the guy Kentucky got? It was topical a couple of weeks ago and I was able to talk about it. But uh, yeah, J- uh, Jaden something. Jaden Sh- Sharp. There it is. See, yeah. I'm quick. I'm quick. Uh, so, yeah, we talked about those guys a little bit, but let's talk uh, about your guy. One of your guys. He's a, he's a foxhole guy. Him and like Jimmy McGinnis are your two foxhole guys, Dan Dockage. Dan Dockage apparently has a new show now. He's left ESPN, no longer commentating on games, which I'm thrilled about. The guy was insufferable to listen to. Just your classic tough guy where if if you don't take a, a, a huge charge, if you don't if you don't get in front of a guy like Luca Garza coming down 80 miles per hour down the lane, then you're a pussy. That's the Dan Dockage experience on a call. But he's got a new show called Sack Up. I think it's part of the Outkick Network. Uh, your thoughts? Will you be tuning in to the, to sack up with Dan Dockage? Um, I can't say I'll turn tune in, but I'll get. You got to give the guy credit. It's an all time name for a TV show or whatever his show is. It's a radio show. I don't like what. Who are these people that go to Clay Travis for like six months and they're out? Like we we had one Mill Whitlock that was doing this around this time last year. Now we're bringing in Dockage. You know, it's almost like a. You know, I would expect my other boy Gottlieb to end up there maybe at one point, but he seems to be holding down the four at Fox Sports One. But yeah, Dockich, he had the drama last season when he was running his mouth on the air. Um, what, what, I don't, I almost even forgot what he got in trouble for that. There, it's always something with him. Uh, but. It's always something under the silo or like the the, the roof of this player is a huge pussy. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean that's why sack ups sack ups great. I mean, he, he played one great game against Michael Jordan 30 years ago, so he, he can do it 40 years ago, really, at this point. It's, it's almost 40 years. Um, so he, he deserves he, – he has the authority to say it. Uh, it's a perfect platform for him with Clay Travis doing the Corona Bros and you got the sack up guy over here. I mean, it's – the audience is there for you, Dockich. That's Those are the guys you want listening to you. And I hate that I'm getting grouped into them because, to be, to be fair, I was a Gottlieb guy – I don't even know why I'm including Gottlieb in this, but like Gottlieb kind of gets grouped into them a lot as kind of a right wing sports guy. I was a Gottlieb guy when he was uh, at ESPN, you know, trying to fit in with everyone, you know, or actually that was at TNT when he was trying to do that. Cream rising to the crop. I don't know why you guys asked me. I'm just here to bring diversity to this set here. Give it the kind of white man's perspective on things. Sure. Point guard position. No, no. <laughs> okay, just check it. <laughs> <laughs> Marquette, Miami. Probably you guys. No, I'm just uh, checking, man. I'm just checking. You, uh, you, you jump right into it. You swimming hard. Okay. Swimming hard. <laughs> Up, upstream, my ass. Trust me, we'll get you back before All the end right, of the night. But I've always been a Gottlieb guy. Um, and he's also become self-aware. Did you see his tweet about um, 
someone someone had the credit cards at Notre Dame and he had so a great good. quote tweet. Yeah. Quote tweet game is an important thing. Did you just hear that beep? Is that me? No. Uh but quote tweet game is critical. You're not a replier. You're a quote tweeter, right? Sam, Sammy, uh, Sammy Stramps, the, the chief, he Huge loves quote. quote. He's a QT guy. Yeah, no. I, and I, you got to call him out. You got to call out quote tweet guys when you see him. I, I like to get in the replies every once in a while. I still don't know a lot of the intricacies of Twitter down there. Um, I generally re- reply to anything Washington football team related. I'll be in the replies there. And if it's a quote tweet and I want to get my opinion off of someone else's opinion, that's when I play the quote tweet card. It's pretty incredible how, I mean, we've, we've, we've established this last year, even two years ago when we launched this show, how your availability, your mood, your tenor in general is directly tied with the football team. I mean, the football team Heineke on that Thursday night game against the giants got you out of retirement, got you out of the bunker, really, to give us Reddit on the show. Yeah, which will, which definitely. Will, yeah. That's true. I mean, that I one would. <laughs> Hadn't done a bracketology in forever, but that was an electric night. Probably wouldn't be on the show if we didn't win that one either. We're a terrible football team. Horrible, horrible putrid defense. Uh, but, you know, you could dumps right now. But yeah. Well, look, I mean, you could be rooting for Arizona football, who here in week four – is hosting walk-on tryouts. Haven't won a game since October 5th, 2019, well before the pandemic hit. So uh, you could you could be room for that. Move. Instead, you got 4-0 BC Halfley. What if you get Vince Papali? You get Vince Papali running in there, you know, start returning kicks. You never know. It might turn around the team. I mean, did he actually help turn around the Eagles? Or was this just a wonderful Vermeule? I mean, the, by the, the way, was good. How, about, how, about Brett, yeah. Vermeule, how about Dick Vermeule uh, theater here? He's he's portrayed in Invincible, and he's now going to be portrayed in that Kurt Warner story. That movie looks terrible, by the way. Um, it just looks like terrible acting. I mean, it's a wonderful story, though. It, yeah, no, and a lot of, to bring it back to Heineke, right? Here, we, we are we are jazz riffing right now too. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. But, I mean, uh, we went from a lot of people are talking. Heineke, <laughs> a lot of people are saying Heineke could be the next Kurt Warner, but to go to the Dan Reeves Dick Vermeil point. Um, Dick Vermeil played by Greg Kinnear in that movie. Pretty good casting right there, if you ask me. Haven't seen the previews for the Kurt Warner movie, uh, but I would see that. I love Kurt Warner. Um, but back to Dockage and Sack Up. <laughs> I mean, this is, we're, we're running the whole no huddle right here. This is no huddle late September offense, trying to trying to get to fill, fill in some of the gaps that we need here. There's no doubt Dockage if when he was coaching or if he was still coaching, he'd, he'd use Vince Papali as a, as, as an oh, example yeah. or something like, if, yeah, if he, if he saw some, if he recruited some five-star guy and, and Dockage is a hundred percent, the, the man or the coach who would, you know, you bring in the five-star guy, you treat him like the walk-on and then the walk-on gets on the floor in the last second of practice and you treat him like the five-star guy. That's exactly what Dockage would do. He definitely, he would show that, that tackle that Papali had on, on the kickoff. Like that is what Dockage would do to fire you up before a final four game. I've just looked up what got him in trouble in the first, uh, most recently it was the thing about some professor. Um, you call him your serious. Probably, yeah. probably called the professor a pussy nerd or something. Huge pussy. Yeah, some, something along those lines. But yeah, I mean, he's got a show. It's a, it's a platform where people are going to like what he has to say. Um, so maybe he'll take off. 
probably won't. I mean, he'll probably end up like, what, what the hell is Whitlock doing right now? Hopefully still having one meal. But Dominates yeah. that one meal, though. Yeah, Whitlock, Whit, Whitlock and Clay Travis, I think they left on unceremonious terms there. Haven't heard from either side on, on that saga. So we got That's Dockage now there. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll get some, some interesting sound bites coming up. Uh, let's focus on the players now. Media day for a lot of these teams was occurring the past couple weeks. Armando Baycott's arms. Did you see this picture? I did. Egregious. Absur- I mean, is it photoshopped or no? No. Like, I don't think it's one of those deals where that's creepy. It, it's. That. I don't think we know that. It, has it been photoshopped? Has it been that, declared? No, this is hundred percent him. No, that's that's a creatine arm. If I've ever seen, it. that's creatine arms. I know that as someone that's had creatine arms way back when, when I was pumping creatine. And by the way, this is not illegal. This is not a steroid. It's not HGH. It's totally something that you can get at GNC. It's fine. Just gives you bigger, bigger muscles. I did creatine way back when I was a kid, just doing bicep curls and bench press. Thought it was going to make, make everything work out for me. I ended up getting arms like that. No definition whatsoever. Just puffy as puffed can be. Um, and that, that's what those arms look like. So maybe he's on creatine. He wants to beef up a little bit, but I know those arms. What's the, I mean, first of all, he looks like he, he looks like a, a the in, inverted pyramid is what he looks like. Yeah. I mean, just um, no legs, zero legs either. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I don't, I would be surprised. Like there's no way he is directing the Photoshop, giving it to the social media intern at UNC and saying, this is the one that you should send out there. Either that or the social media intern at UNC is going rogue and altering, touching up these photos to then sound, send out without the player's consent, which I don't know if you should be doing that in this NIL nowadays where everyone's going to be concerned about their own image and what, get, what gets put out there. So I think that's just what he looks like. I think that's my opinion. You think there was a random drug test waiting in his locker afterwards? Like, you know when Alex Caruso Maybe. goes for 30 points and, and the NBA is like, all right, take this drug test real quick? wonder if that surfaced there for Armando. Certainly could. I, I just don't know – I mean, again, like what? Who, who would take steroids? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I who, take, who, yeah, who would take steroids for basketball? If anything, like the the better players in basketball are the leaner, more you know, malleable type guys. And you, know, you got Zion, my, you know, your boy. So I or just the fat guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you got to. Yeah, I hate to bring back the my Zion take, but got a broken wheel on Zion from over the summer. Put on put on that big body frame hanging up there as well. The, you know, the, the parts are breaking down a little bit here on that big that big truck, and it, you're going to lose some of that athleticism as you go, and especially if you're not as bouncy as you used to be. Well, I'm saying there's no point in even just trying to be jacked or huge. Just be like Luca Garza, guy guy won National Player of the Year. He's just out of shape constantly. You got to stop He's, clicking. By yeah, the way, it's just a terrible. Are you really hearing all those listening clips? experience? I mean, you used to never hear. You got to check that. I don't know what's going. on. I, I'm using like the back of a legal pad over here. It's what do you need like, to be clicking around for? Thought we were just chatting. I, no, because I was looking at um, I was looking at what's his face, um, Baycott's numbers from last year. Oh, were they? I mean, he's going to get I, the ball. Back I couldn't get it. Looks- I got called out of my clip. I didn't even get there. I'm stuck on BC's forum right now. I'm still in the forums. Speaking How of those comments, in there, they're not bad. I, I didn't get into my for the. I was I was in the mud on Saturday after I was at the BC Missouri game. I was in the mud on that one with some f- folks on Twitter, uh, including great friend of the program Flem. 
Yeah, Flem, that was kind of a backhanded shot. I didn't mean to do that, like because he and I are you good issuing little... a public apology here? Not, to I mean, I'll, I'll apologize to him right now. I'm not, certainly not going to tweet an apology. That's just not my business. Uh, but I would apologize if he's listening. I, I'm sorry for doing that. The Quanzo dig was just way uncalled for after a football game in September. Um, you know, I, I I saw that hole and I kind of just plowed through it. Um, but yeah, I was excited after we won. It was a good win for the football, uh, the BC football team. I, I can't say football team because got the other one there. Um, and then the guys, yeah, it has nothing to do with college basketball, but I just feel like their college co- bat football coach, Eli Drinkwitz and Quanzo Martin, both seem to be very genuine, wholesome, nice people. They're just, you know, not very good head coaches of programs, in my opinion. Well, you got, you got to win against an SEC team up up in Boston. That's always nice. Uh, hey, we're always that was like the first opponent we ever had since 1950. It was a big deal. It, I, I agree. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Hey, let's move on though to some new content and some new imagery and some new memes that we're going to be trying to introduce here in the new season. Bong Jun Ho, Bong Hive, and again, I know the chief is our guy, and he's a Bong guy. Bong Jun Ho, uh, you might have heard of him. Directed a little little home project called Parasite. Just one best picture. Watch it if you haven't. I mean, it's it's a couple years old, but I promise you, you're not going to be judged by me at least if you go back and watch it and you haven't haven't seen it yet. But what we have a new toy, okay? And so it means of or it's not even a meme. It's just a That's screen grab. A picture. We're, Where's we're making it a meme. I can't laugh it's, as you try to explain it because, you, you know, you listen to these podcasts sometimes. You got people talking on the podcast and you're like, what? These guys are laughing about something. They haven't described it to me just yet. Um, and I'm I'm jumping in saying what the person on the other end of this audio is thinking. So I, I just want you to know that I know. All right. I'm sorry about that. So no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but let me do my best to describe it. And I think we do just have to tweet it out. I already did tweet it out, actually. But it's Bong Joon-ho looking incredibly pensive. I mean, he is just marinating on a thought. It, it's 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 almost directly out of your stereotypical, uh, let me put my hand on my chin with the with the index finger right in the middle of the mustache and and my thumb on my on my cheek. And he says to me, that's cinema. And it's so perfect. Because it's short, sweet, concise, a hilarious image. And what I want to do, Shark, I'm open to your feedback, open to the theater goers' feedback. After a, after a great game, I don't know, maybe a buzzer beater or a, a game that was fought tooth and nail, wire to wire, and it's decided within the last 10 seconds, just tweet out to me, that's cinema. I, it, it's exactly perfect. It's almost as if he, he's a theater girl. He listens to the show because that's getting to the, the heart of what we're trying to accomplish with a lot of – um, what we're suggesting when that's theater. Granted, he uses the term cinema instead of theater, so it's kind of a, him trying to show one one to us a little bit right there, so good for him. Uh, but it's a phenomenal screen grab. I wouldn't even call it a meme. It's just a, it's a, just a screenshot of him doing an interview. And so I, it's hard to describe. you got to look at the Titch account if you want to follow it. You, know, you wouldn't describe the Mona Lisa as someone, and they're going to go tell you how beautiful it is. got to go see it. So you got to go see this Bong Hong What's his name? Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. You got to go see this photo. It's incredible. Uh, and yeah, it's a nice new toy for uh, for us to work with going into the new season. I don't know. Last year we unveiled the theater button. That was I think nice. that's going to come back. Yeah, you got to have the theater button. And then we never really had something for the conclusion of the game. Now we have that. 
So what we're missing is kind of something to begin, like the, almost an excitement tweet to get people going. Like, okay, we don't have the theater button. You know that something's happening. There's What's the criteria for that? Less than 10 or less than four? Less, less than, than 10. Two. Less than 10 is the theater Upset button. brewing less than 10. Okay. What's Farmer Friend, Nichols? Farmer Friend is game winner. Game winner. Now we have – so we we literally have the last 10 minutes of the game covered. We have the theater button if it's close. You got, you got Farmer Friend rubbing his nipples if it's a game winner, like right at the end. Yeah. And then after five minutes after that game subsides, you know, you go get another beer, you're sitting on your couch, you're flipping over to a new channel, you're digesting it. Boom, we hit you with the young, young Kim. <laughs> to me, that's Bong Hong. Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. To me, that's, <laughs> that's, that's <right>. cinema. <laughs> that's cinema. That's, that's good. What, I mean, we just what we need is we need something to get people excited going into the game. So if you're yeah. a listener, if you got an idea, better Pitch be good. Something. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. give me don't give me the and I'll brainstorm too. But don't give me the Rothstein, uh, Heath Ledger, yeah, yeah, no. Joker, and here we go. That's 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 just played out. By the way, when when that when he says and here we go, nothing actually happens. He thinks both both the boats are going to blow each other up. I don't even nothing actually that, happened. I don't even remember what that scene in the movie is. I don't. I don't even think that's something to get people fired up for the it's, next it's, event. Yeah, I mean, it's just a yeah. it's just a line. It's just a line. So we'll 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 noodle on what we can do pregame, maybe halftime. I don't know. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of stoppages. It's a lot of time. Halftime's but, a good one too. Something but, to kind of reboot the engines a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Throw some maybe, coal in the engine. You know what could be? You know what could be a good halftime uh, meme. Now again, not a meme, just a screen grab. But Dom from Entourage when he's like Tropicana, Tropicana. <laughs> that's great. that actually might be good for the little window after day one true. of the tournament. Yeah, all right. We're, we're thinking out loud. That's something that we. I, if you pulled the records on a lot of these episodes, I think we said in one of those early episodes, never think out loud. And we've been doing that for about twenty minutes at this point. So Rick and I rule. But yeah, well, thoughts. getting reps. Yeah, thoughts and thinking. I want to get your thoughts on this tweet from uh, from Rothstein earlier this week. "Quote: Well embedded moles in Tallahassee believe this year's FSU team could be the deepest that Leonard Hamilton has had during his tenure with the Seminoles. Names change, but the product does not. It's unbelievable. It's like, <laughs> at what point are you going to stop valuing depth and start?" understanding that you need to have a cohesive somewhat tight unit to make it pretty far in this thing. All right. You got to get people that are actually empowered and confident enough to score. If you looked at FSU's team last year, Scotty Barnes, which to his credit, the guy snuck into what he was the third pick of the draft. Is that right? I think he snuck to, he wasn't, he was right. I think he was, he's top, he, t- he got taken over yeah. Jalen sucks. Oh no, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he was, he actually might've been three. three. Yeah. I think yeah. he was, um, he's in Toronto. I know that. So we know that, but, and then you had him, you had Raekwon Gray, who is kind of a big boy runner on the roof, but a really good player. Like they had a lot of talent on that team. It's just, you know, when you play everyone, you play no one. So you know, you can bring, you know, everyone from a great basketball camp to play in one game, but you only put five guys on the court and it's about building the chemistry and going far to this day that watching that game against Michigan in the sweet 16 last year is one of the most frustrating experiences I've ever witnessed. Um, and I don't think Leonard Hamilton's ever going to accomplish anything with this team. I think it's funny reading Rothstein's quote saying, or, or obviously highlighting their depth 
and how it might be the deepest Lent has yeah, ever like, had. Because like what is it? You just are had all fifteen. Yeah. Are all fifteen going to play this year? Like, well, like, it's it's not necessarily that, but also you got you got you had Patrick Williams go top five. I think yeah. he was top five. You have Scotty Barnes. Like, how much better is this bench than two top five picks who were th- those guys were on the bench? And so, so obviously, there's going to be someone. There's always going to be someone that is going to take them to the final four, strictly because of their athleticism and the fact that Leonard Hamilton is due, yada yada yada. But those guys are. I mean, Florida State is one of those teams, and I've had to soften on Gonzaga, obviously, the past couple of years because of how great they truly have been. And the second Nigel Williams Goss took them to the title game against UNC, you know, Gonzaga used to be one of those teams where you're like, I'm not taking them to the final four. There's no point. Florida State, I think, is in that boat at this at this juncture. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I think the teams in the ACC are looking at, oh, they're deeper. That's great. You know, at this point, they'll keep playing more guys and more people will kind of just be buried in that rotation and never going to be able to emerge as uh, someone that is a useful player at the college level. A lot of these guys, as you alluded to, they do go on to the next level and perform. I mean, you, you, you cited the three already, the two that were lottery picks, but – you know, Terrence Mann was playing, performing his balls off during the NBA playoffs last year. Isaac was another, and he's hurt, uh, but he was another guy that was a lottery pick. So it's just kind of the same guy over and over again, but it never leads to anything for Florida State in terms of tournament performance. And I, I, I say to myself, it's stupid to basically write off someone or a team going to the Final Four because every single year is different. Every bracket is different. Every road to the final four is incredibly different, but Leonard Hamilton just really hasn't shown me anything where he's just going to break through at any point. Well, and it's not as if he's getting to the tournament and choking. Like he, they just have a window. Like they, they play to that second weekend and then maybe they'll get one, they'll get to an elite eight, but they're not going to go beyond that because when that game gets tight and you're playing for TV timeouts and you, you need to get a bucket and it's not easy. You know, you got to have someone that you can go to relatively quickly, or you got to have people that are empowered and confident enough to take shots that they they know they can make. And that just doesn't happen with the way that that team plays. Which, to take kind of the almost the opposite scenario of that, is a team like Syracuse. Whenever they get in these scenarios, it's just like we're playing seven guys, we're playing the same defense every single time. We're gonna have some chubby white dude chuck it from thirty feet. He's gonna bury it, and you know the crowd's gonna get behind him. And you know that's just the way Syracuse kind of plays for, for a lot of it. So I, I think there's two very different styles of play, but the, the culture of these college basketball programs carries with it a long way about how teams perform in the tournament. You know, who's going to be cinema this year? Buddy Payheim. I can, so we, we can't lose the theater aspect of this. That's right. I mean, I, that, they can be, they can be interchangeable though. We'll, we'll get both of them. I was going to come out with cinema and college hoops. In fact, that's a pretty good name. Kitch. Kitch. Sitch. Yeah. The sitch. Yeah, that's pretty good. It is It is ripe for, for parody. All right. Um, last couple items here. Richard Patino has resurfaced down in New Mexico, and he uh, got fired from Minnesota. This might have been one of the reasons why. We mentioned Jalen Suggs a couple minutes ago. Jalen Suggs went on to the road trip and podcast with Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson. And essentially in so many words said that, Hey, if Richard Patino showed a little bit more interest, I'd be at Minnesota or I would have gone to Minnesota and I'll play the clip here. But to the best of my knowledge, he's basically saying, 
yeah, uh, he didn't show any interest at all <laughs> to, to me. It's not necessarily just more interest. Obviously, if a player doesn't feel valued and the coach can say, well, I spent every waking second there, that you know, there's only so much you can do. It just sounded like Richard Patino didn't want a guy like Jalen Suggs, and that clearly turned out to be a mistake. Uh, so, sophomore year going into junior year, I am ready to commit to Minnesota. I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do both sports. I'll play with PJ, you know, the basketball. I'll do it. I just, I need a little more from them. I just need a little more from the basketball side. They didn't. Like, what do you mean? Never came around really what do you mean? Like, they need more attention. You need more attention. No, no, no. You need no, no, no. I, didn't, I didn't care about that. I was going to, you know, I was going to change it. But it was, they didn't come to recruit. They didn't come to many games. Like, they weren't at practice. And, like, when you were that close, like, and especially, I never really had too much interaction with Patino. Like, I don't know, he's, no, he's cool. Like, you know, at times we did talk, you know, he's good people. But, you know, I wish if he would have just came a little more, like, show, showed interest, you know, like he actually wanted me to be there, then I think it would have been easy. And I honestly would have chopped it up and committed probably my late junior year to Gonzaga. I'm in tough. like about ASU. I don't know how much I believe it. But for sake of this bit, let's believe it. I mean, that – you deserve what, what happened to him. You know, you got to get fired for that. You miss out on an in-state guy that is a transcendent player um, that allegedly wanted to go to your school and you kind of look the other way. I mean, there's a reason you're down in New Mexico at this point. But, uh, but you know, I, I also not sure how much I believe that. Suggs was, what, a top five recruit? I know he, he would have been, depending on 247 ESPN, where you're looking at, he was top five recruit for that year. Um Minnesota did have Marcus Carr, so maybe it was Richard Patino thinking, sorry, but we got not enough room on the roster here for you. Maybe if you go play for Leonard Hamilton, you can catch that 11 minutes of rotation over there. You can play for him, but not at Minnesota. Um, no, I kid, but maybe that's the case, but I, I, I would be surprised. Anytime you can get a top five guy, you're going to want to try to find a way to make that work. I got to think the apple falls very far from the tree in this, in this respect, because you nailed it just now. Anytime you got a top five guy in your backyard, you got to go get him. Uh, what do you think Rick Petito would do in this scenario? If Rick Petino could get his tentacles on Jalen Suggs, I don't think he, he would have missed on this guy. And so, yeah, I mean, no. you, you just got to look back on it because Minnesota, Minnesota is such a weird program. Like they're not a sleeping giant but they show flashes sometimes of being competitive. They they will always have a random December, January, Tuesday night in the Big Ten where they knock off a top 10, top 15 team at home. And yeah, I think I think Patino got to the tournament one time, maybe two times. I don't know. They're, they they can make a little bit of a run. Uh, it's just interesting. And obviously, like, nobody's, nobody's going to ask them to land Chet Holmgren. Who who's from Minnesota went to Gonzaga as well, uh, yeah. but who knows? Maybe Holmgren will come out and be like, "Yeah, Patino yeah. didn't show any interest <laughs> in me either." Could be the case, um, but no, I, I think they are kind of the the perfect picture of mediocrity in the Big Ten. You know, they they are always going to have twelve to fourteen losses. They may be on the bubble depending on what big wins they've had each year. Uh, but they're always right in the thick of it right there. And they may steal one on a lazy Tuesday in February. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how much of a sleeping giant of a program they could be. Big Ten is kind of tough. But they, Ohio State, for the most part, even you know, not talking about the Greg Odin years, but they kind of came out of nowhere relatively recently where they're, they're pretty established, at least in Big Ten. Uh, Holtman's a hell of a coach. 
Yeah, he's a great coach, but agreed on that point. But I mean, he he turned it around relatively quickly. Who did Penn uh, Minnesota just hire? Was it Shrewsbury? Did they get or Dennis? No, Gates? they got. Oh no, I was gonna say no. Yeah, look that up. Um, I was gonna say Otzelberger, but he's at Iowa State. That guy just continues to follow up. Hell of a job! I and we nailed it too when he was at South Dakota State. We said, get the hell out of there. Go get some great jobs. UNLV, I mean, you can argue if it's a great job or not, but it's a premier program in, in that state. Um, yeah, well, actually, Nevada's pretty damn good with Alfred. But it's a fine job. And now he's at Iowa State, which is a great job in the Big 12. Yeah, I don't know how he did so they it. Got, this guy, Ben Johnson, who was an assistant at Xavier for a while, previous Minnesota assistant, played at Minnesota, um, from Minnesota, is Minnesota. What movie is that from? Talk Jamaican, talk Jamaica, is Jamaica. Cool runs. There you go. Um, cool runs, yes. But yeah, Ben Johnson. Yeah, maybe that's the kind of guy to get it turned around for. Him. But um, I've personally not heard of him. Minnesota is like your coworker that you know. I don't know if you're at a huge company. There's this. There's always coworkers that you know that are just so content with being in the exact same position or same job. That they've like I've I've come across sixty three year olds that have been doing the exact same job for thirty years, and I mean look, teach their own. Nobody's making fun of them. They're they're valuable. Minnesota's a valuable component to the Big Ten, but at the same time, it's like could you know if you if you go on PTO for two weeks, train will keep rolling. Nobody, nobody's weeping about it. Hey, maybe they think you got to get a homegrown guy to start getting those recruits that are from the area and bring them in. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and get to our interview with former Michigan State player Joe Sweeney. All right, we now welcome to the program former basketball player for the Michigan State Spartans, Joe Sweeney. Joe, it is finally great to have you on because let's give some context to the theater goers here. This has been in the making for about what seems like half a year, man. It might have been. I know entering the summer – we wanted to get as many guests as we can. And you and I have a mutual friend. And so we laid the groundwork. I found out you were in Spain. Now you're stateside. Schedules didn't match up, but it's, it's so good to finally have you on, man. Tell, where, where the hell are you now? <laughs> so I am, I think you're right, too. It's probably two or three months we've been trying to put this in the works. But I am now in Chicago, where I have been uh, working uh, the entire time. I've just been working remotely. Um, I was in Madrid, Spain for months and months at a time, uh, and then Mexico for two weeks right before I came to Chicago. But the entire time I've been working for a law firm, and then I just joined a different one in Chicago, just working remotely in Spain because my girlfriend is uh, a Spanish citizen, and we had to jump through some hoops for that end. But Chicago's home has been for the past five years since graduating law school in 2016, but I'm Gold Coast Chicago, about a mile north of Trump Tower right now. Terrific. It seems as if a lot of the Big Ten students, which you are undergraduately, well, you know what? Maryland, I think that's where you went to law school, too. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't claim it, though. I don't claim it. I still stay Michigan State. (laughs) Okay. But, and and we'll get to to Maryland as well and Big Ten hoops. I want to get your outlook on that. But it seems like a lot of students, they come to Chicago. It's, It's a big hub for it. And my story is pretty typical to that same narrative because when I was in, uh, undergrad, just by happenstance, a few of my friends were from, born and raised in Chicago. They went to high school here. They went to Latin, which is a, a big high school in Chicago, and just got looped in with them while I was at Michigan State. 
And so when I went to Maryland Law, it was my intent to return back to Chicago after I finished law school. And that was sort of my long way around, you know, Michigan down down to Baltimore, then straight up to Chicago and been here outside of the remote year uh, ever since. Terrific. So let's dive in now to a little bit of your background and your hoops history. We'll start first where you grew up, Tom's River, New Jersey. So when we were growing up, I vividly remember them being amazing at, in the Little League World Series. Oh, I feel like that's the only reason why I know of Tom's River, New Jersey. Were you on those teams? No. So that was before my generation. And it's funny because that's like our claim to fame. That's like the only thing that Tom's River is known for, but known very well. So Todd Frazier, he, I think he was the last generation of that uh, Little League World Series famous team. Um but no, so I was actually born in Michigan. I was born in Muskegon, Michigan. And a lot of folks don't know that about me because I grew up in New Jersey predominantly. But I actually lived in Michigan until I was about 10, and which sort of led me back to Michigan State for undergrad. Two of my uncles and my aunt are all Michigan State alumni. So I grew up a Spartan fan, even though I was uh, in New Jersey since like third grade. Um, and so it was always sort of my dream, I guess you would say, to come back and play for the Spartans. Um, but grew up in New Jersey in, in uh, about an hour south of Manhattan and about an hour 15 from Philadelphia, just sort of equidistant right there in the, uh, on the shore um, for until, you know, 2008 when I went to Michigan State. Was athleticism just great athletics in the water at Tom River? Because Tom's River, because we talked about baseball. You're obviously a D1 basketball player. There's got to be something there. You, you'd be surprised. We are actually a feeder town. The more and more, you know, I, I put perspective on leaving uh, high school. Our baseball program is are, are just insane. One of my best friends, Steve Neister, was a, a very publicized player coming out of uh, Tom's River North, Tom's River East, Tom's River South. We all have big, big baseball programs. But he went on to Rutgers um, and did very, very well there and uh, wound up getting drafted and, and played farm leagues for a while. But Tom's River is it's more known for baseball like you would sort of led with than it is for basketball. Um, but whether there's something in the water or not, I think it's more cultural than anything. They, they raise you hard as hell in, in, in Tom's River, especially the sporting programs. I see. So let's go back though to your birthplace. Cause I thought you were born in Jersey. No. You're clearly Michigan in your blood. And I know some Wolverines fans, obviously you have the Spartans fans as well. What is the dichotomy there? How does someone grow up? I mean, obviously you had family, but is there geographical uh, allegiance as well? I mean, what is the difference? And how would you, would you say that it's majority Spartans? Would you say it's majority Wolverines? Is it split? How does the great state of Michigan? I, I would say, you know, in the beginning it was, it was, I, I think I, would, I, I was in a unique perspective because I had a, a Michigan, you know, upbringing and, and a Michigan background, so to speak. But I didn't grow up immersed in that rivalry so much because I spent, you know, my adolescence in New Jersey. Um, but having gone to Michigan State, even the first year, year and a half that you're at a big state school like this, you started understanding the rivalry. It's it, I'd say mostly uh, fans in the state of Michigan are Michigan fans because, you know, they, they've got like they have all their jerseys and stuff at like a Walmart. They have, they like their marketing, their advertising materials. They call them like Walmart fans or whatever. I don't, I don't even know what the moniker is anymore. Um, but I, the more and more uh, you sort of put perspective in some years on college afterwards, it's, it's, it's cultural. And we, 
I, I look at it as a blue collar, white collar sort of dynamic. And again, I'm biased, right? Like I'm a Michigan State fan. I'm always going to have a certain edge for Michigan State. But Michigan, and they're proud of it, and they should be, right? Michigan's a great program, great school, great campus, very pre- prestigious university. But they're, in my eyes, at least the way I look at it, the, the white collar school. And Michigan State's the blue collar, but we don't shy away from that. We don't look at that as a bad thing. We look at it as like, okay, we are the hardworking, thick grip workers of the world. and we like that. Uh, and, and we perform in sports, we perform academically, but we are very humble in nature uh, of a school. Uh, whereas in Michigan, that's sometimes few and far between. <laughs> Grit, toughness is certainly something that I associate with Michigan State, even more so if I take it to another level, Michigan State basketball, Tom Izzo as a person. But again, I want to I want to focus this on you real quick. Some may not know this, so let's give a little bit of background and context to the theater goers about how you are YouTube famous. You're on YouTube with a video titled, quote, Sweeney Gets Rocked. Okay, <laughs> can you do me a favor? Uh, and I'm going to play this clip here in a second for the audio, at least, because we actually discussed Dan Dockage. He's got a new show. Dan Dockage, he's your guy. He literally said, Sweeney is my guy. That was the audio. Can you take us through those couple possessions, starting with the backcourt violation? Well, so it goes, it's a little bit broader than that. And I'll take it a few steps back. So Dan Dockage, I don't know him personally. I can't claim it. And, and if I met him today, I don't know if he would. I, I'm sure he might, he might remember me, but I look much different back then. I, I, I bicked my head. I had a shaved head. It was probably like 15 pounds of muscle heavier. But because um, this is the story that sort of precedes that story. But we were in, and he talks about it a little bit in the clip. Uh, the audio is a little bit grainy, but we were having a practice in college game day was there or something. And um, we're all getting motivated, everyone. Like sometimes you get a, a lazier practice. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes, the, you know, the energy's not there. So, so and, Real quick. Sorry, Joe. So this is the practice is in prep for the Big Ten tournament because this was in the Big Ten tournament, right? So it's not like a regular season pra- regular season game practice, right? No, no, it's okay. it's in prep. And I don't recall exactly how many days before, right? Because in the, in the tournament, the games are so quick back-to-back. But 
Charlie Bell, who, I, again, I don't know personally and I won't claim it, uh, but just got to know him from him being around. He'd come back and play with the guys. Uh, I, I was just kind of being, you know, I was just kind of bullshit a little bit. And me and Russell Bird and, and I think Brandon Kearney or Trice or one of them, like they're kind of elbowing me. They're like, yo, let's get, let's get, try, let's get Charlie Bell going. So I start screaming at him and I'm a walk on, right? I know my place is so far low on the totem pole. And I'm like, come on, Charlie, let's go. I need more energy from you today. And he kind of fed into it. And I don't, again, I don't even know if he'll remember the story, but it, it's sort of one of those uh, stories that's in, in my memory because Dan Dockage was at the sideline. And I honestly, I didn't know who Dan Dockage was at the time. I kind of, you know, affiliated him with all the folks with like the TV uh, personnel that were there. But he's just in stitches at the sideline watching me do this because it's Charlie Bell, you know, this NBA great. And I'm just some walk on bullshit around. But it was it was all in camaraderie and good fun. Fast forward to uh, the Big Ten tournament. When I get in, that's what Dan Dockett starts talking about in that possession. Um, so, I mean, this is Big Ten tournament. We're up by like 20, right? This is scrub time. I've got no illusions of grandeur. You're getting in. You don't want a shot clock violation. You just want to, you don't want to piss off Izzo, but at the same time, you actually don't want to piss off the other team, right? Because you don't want to rub it in. You're up by 20 points. You're going to win the game. You don't want to be showboating or anything. But I'm in the weird predicament where uh, I got to get a shot up because I can't like if I'm just sitting there dribbling, like I don't want to be mean to the other team. But if I'm just sitting there dribbling at a shot clock, Izzo's going to ring me out in front of thousands of people there. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. get in backcourt violation disputed to this day. I still think he tipped it and I ran back. But oh, OK, you know, difference of opinion. Go either way. But that was just, I mean, so. I mean, let's I analyze that part real quick. Was that just nerves, or did you just lose the handle? What was it there? It was. I mean, it definitely wasn't nerves because your adrenaline is going so much when you're at that point that you get like I'll get more nervous watching a game in the Big Ten than when you actually are on the court because then your instincts just come and play. Like you're playing. It's not like you're going to forget how to dribble. Your adrenaline just going so much that it just comes second nature. Um, but I mean, whatever. Backcourt violations happen, and I'm going to own that. It was a backcourt violation. They called it. And I'm like, God damn. And I think it like zooms in on me. I'm like, oh, fuck, I just got in this game and I just backcourt violation. Thousands of people, Big Ten tournaments. So they get the ball and they score. Uh, or they either scored and they, they turn the ball over the next possession. It's been a while. And so I, I get the ball. And right before, like, I don't know if the camera can see, someone hits me in the face. Like, I get like whacked in the eye or something. And so as I'm dribbling up the court, I'm going kind of slow. And like, this should be a, a, a foreseeable what's about to happen to me. But I'm kind of like, what the hell? And then so I, I move around and I see an opening and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I just drove the lane in this video. And I don't know if you have it on here. And I, the video sort of speaks for itself. But I mean, everyone asked me after that, like, were you trying to go up and dunk it? Maybe. I was probably going to come right here and then loop around to Kobe Wallenman because there is two big ass centers there. But I get caught, and I mean, the video speaks for itself. I get caught in clothesline and land on my tailbone and almost die, but somehow survive that ordeal. So I didn't pick that up in the film because I was watching it in prep for this interview, obviously. Yeah. I did not see you get hit in the backcourt. And then, I, obviously, the clothesline is very obvious, but I didn't know you got hit prior to that But by by an Iowa player. I'm I, don't, I don't know who hit me. It must have been just like a, like a, like a, a random elbow, a random finger. But if you see the video, because that's what I remember from that, because it kind of started this whole snowball effect of I'm going to get hurt on the court. Because I, I get the ball, and I'm kind of just like this checking. And one of the Iowa guys, he's a starter still in the game. He's, like, pressing up on me. And I'm almost like, bro, chill. Like, because I just got hit. And I'm bringing the ball to the court and like kind of aggravated, like, all right, bro, goddamn. All right. So I just go by him. But 
I think in the video you can see me kind of already like, God damn, what is happening to me right now? I mean, so when you took that hit, you took a pretty nasty spill. Again, earning a lot of points with Dockage because I, I wish you were on with the shark and myself a, a couple hours ago. Basically, we were talking about how he just loves – I mean, that is his <laughs> wheelhouse. He loves that type of shit, especially from the walk-ons. 100%. How are you feeling after that? I mean – the thing I had a bruise the size of a bowling ball on my tailbone for like the next two weeks. But I mean, your adrenaline's going so much that like, if that had otherwise happened, right? If I was in my kitchen and I'd fall, I would not have gotten up that quickly, right? But like, you land smack dab on your ass in front of all these people, you got to just get up. And Dockage says something like that. He's like, yeah, the star might have stayed down and milked it, but he's a walk on, so he's got to get up. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. I can't just sit down there and like, wait for the folks to come out and see if I'm okay. Um, and it, more importantly, that's my first chance of scoring. And so that's what I say. Like when people find out I played, I say, you know, that's my claim to fame. I've got the highest free throw percentage in the history of the NCAA at a hundred percent, just two for two. Nailed both free throws. That, that was also very impressive. I'll give you that. And you had, you had alluded to this as well in the film. I think the most striking thing now that I'm seeing you and for anyone that knows what you look like, you got a full head of hair. Anyone ever tell you, I mean, you made, you made the transition and we're the theater in college hoops, man. So we love making any sort of connection with movies. You made that. You kind of remind me of John Bernthal. You know who he is? John Bernthal. You know what I always get? I always get, you know who you look like? And then it's a cast of like three or four different people. But I don't know if Bernthal. I got I to gotta look this up while you, while you got me. John Bernthal, he has a, a bald head shaved look. He was in The Walking Dead. But then yes. he grew out his hair uh, yes. in Wolf of Wall Street. All right, good. I, I'm glad. But, I mean, what, what sort of sparked your decision to grow the hair out? Or <laughs> what sparked your decision to go clean cut? In, I, in I had always shaved my head growing up playing sports. And I don't know if it was based on anything else i just it was as simple as it's easier i don't have to worry about shampoo conditioner whatever just hit the road and i'm out of the door uh and i mean i think a lot of folks around me growing up to shave their head just sort of a highball fade uh it's new jersey I, I gotta admit it new jersey new jersey did that to me um and then when i got to michigan state it just carried on through being an athlete it was just sort of easier uh and then when i got to law school it's like I guess it was sort of a, a slow-moving process, but having such a shaved head and being way more muscular at the time, I, I must must have looked a little bit intimidating. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I let the I let the flow it a little bit and haven't looked back since. Yeah, now it looks good. It looks good. <laughs> uh, if, if you're looking for any more compliments, so you had mentioned Charlie Bell, and I think what's so fascinating with all the people that we interview, last man on the bench, first player, right they're exposed to all of these legends that yes. have come before you. Can you take us through some of the other people that have dropped in on a practice, anyone that you've had to stick any crazy practice stories, including the team or someone else? So it's, it's crazy because you almost become so You're exactly right. And you almost become desensitized to it because it's so normal to have these legends like Mateen Cleaves would come in and then Charlie Bell and then Travis Walton and all these alumni would come in and you just be playing with them. And at first you're kind of like, holy shit, like this, the guy that used to grow up watching on TV. But then after a while, you're just like, you know, drinking a chocolate milk, chill in the locker room. It just becomes so normal to you. Um, and even the players, right? Because I walked on my senior year. Um, and so a group of Michigan State fans watched them. I, I'd always plan on walking on the team. And I was uh, playing with the team during the summers and, you know, going to tryouts in, in other preceding years. 
But even the team, right? So like Draymond Green's like this big celebrity and Keith Appling and Adrian Payne. After like the first couple days, they, they're so inclusive that it, you lose that shell shock a little bit. You're just like, bro, this is this just day day. You know, that's AP, that's Brandon Dawson. You don't have that sort of stardom uh, appeal to it. But that being said, I do recall one that never faded away from me. That was Magic Johnson. And because this Magic Johnson is the best way I can describe him, he's larger than life because it's not just his size. But if you're just going to look at his size, he's as big as Knicks. Like Knicks and Adrian Payne, and he's a point guard. So like you walk up to him and you're like, bro, you're bigger than Knicks, who's our center. And he just has, and like this isn't just me. Anyone who talks about Magic Johnson says the same thing. His personality, like I remember walking to the gym and like you could see like people gravitating toward a corner. And it's not like people who are like so amazed at who he is. He just has this energy in a room. And I remember meeting him and I, I must have looked like just like one of those little puppy fanboy. I was like, hi, nice to meet you, sir. It's like, holy shit, I just met Magic Johnson. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to what Izzo always says. It speaks to the program. When you have folks that come back, because he, right, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not like pillow fights there. It is very tough, almost boot camp style, tough love. But it speaks to that value because folks are always coming back. And if it was so hard, then they wouldn't always come back and give, you know, Draymond Green, I think his first contract, he gave like a million or so back to Michigan State. Um, I don't know the exact figures, but it speaks to the program and how they raise you is that, look, we're going to be very tough on you. We're going to make you into a hard person, but we're doing this for your own good. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Those, those are some incredible stories there. And yeah, I can imagine Magic Johnson having that type of reaction because he's one of the very few people where you can feel it through the television as well. Yes. You've you've been fortunate enough to meet him in person, but everyone else, you can just tell what a what a gregarious individual he really is through the TV. It's a good word, and he's just he's one of these folks. You know, you come across him in life. I I mean, I haven't spent much time with him, but I, it's hard for me to imagine him ever being angry. He's just got one of these personalities, just so lively, so positive, so happy, so just you know. J- just like happy with life and happy with everything he's doing his position where he is. It's, it's good to see it's contagious too. Cause when you're around him, you can't help but just be smiling at whatever he's expressing. I'm glad you also brought up, I believe you described it as a sort of boot camp, yeah. tough love type of mentality because growing up for me and me, the shark Taylor, we've, we've been into college basketball since I don't know when man, like sixth, fifth grade trying to call out a call out of school to watch the tournament. And one of the big themes or maybe it was just like a myth like a tall tale you would hear are these tom Izzo practices and these michigan state practices and i remember hearing one in middle school when it was something to the effect of these guys are practicing in legitimate football pads right we've seen draymond go on the field i think he went on the on the spring ring which is pretty funny but i mean did it actually get to the point of football pads and if not how close were we to that can you describe a tom Izzo? I, I will say, all right, so, so just a, a few sort of just guide rails on, on, his, on the intensity. We had two days off the entire year. And when you look at all right, practicing every day, that's you know daunting enough, but it's a full-time job. Like you're up at 7 a.m. to do a walkthrough, which is like everyone in sweats and you're kind of going through what the other teams plays and what sort of systems they run. Classes, because, oh, yes, you're also a college student, which some people sort of lose sight on. Classes until... Uh, and they rearrange your schedule. So when you start off your class, like, no, 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 no. You can't take this 3 p.m. We've got practice. So that's what they did to me when I walked on. They're like, no, you, you, your schedule has to be this way. Um, so you practice until 
you know, three uh, or sorry, you, you class until like noon, then practice from, you know, 12 to like three from, you know, preparing, getting ready, cooling down, whatever, lunch, dinner, then you go through a video session. The entire year for the Spartans, like we had two days off and that was it. Other than that, we are doing some form of practice and it's usually very, very hard. Um, in terms of Tom Izzo practice, what a lot of the coaching staff sort of, uh, like the staffers, the video folks, what they say that is so incredible about Izzo, which is completely true, is he never has a day off. And I think that's because he has a blue collar upbringing. And I think that he understands and recognizes a position of privilege that he does have, you know, vis-a-vis the rest of the American populace. And so, I mean, I don't know, I've never asked him about it, but I think I I get that sense that he says, look, you know, I've reached this point of privilege. I need to, you know, even though I've earned it, I need to continue earning it because some people aren't that lucky. And and that's the sense I get. He's like, no, there's people that are, you know, digging ditches. I I need to make sure that every single day of my life, I'm going to go as as hard as possible. And so from the start to the finish, and there's not like a day off what I'm talking about. Like, there's not like someday he comes in, he's like, all right, you guys just rolls the ball out. Every single day his intensity. And I've never, I've met some hardworking motherfuckers in my life. I have never met someone like that. All of us, we've got an off day. We're tired. You know, our energy is not there. X, Y, and Z is happening like outside of what our, our given task is every day was on it. And I mean, football pads, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I recall actual football pads, but we definitely had points where we're going up for a layup and we had Dwayne Stevens as an assistant coach who's enormous. He's just like a grizzly bear and he's holding these, uh, They might have been football pads, now that I think of it, like these big plastic cylinders that's supposed to be like getting your way as you're going up. But with the bigger players, you're going contact to contact because, I mean, that's what you're going to get in a game. So why sugarcoat it before then? It's incredible, really. And it it, it speaks to not only like you had mentioned his practice, but I feel like it's almost tailored to some of the personnel and the players that Michigan Michigan State has, has had come through East Lansing. I mean, you mentioned Derek Nix. Who, who else am I thinking of? You you guys, I feel like, always have beefy, big, like, bigger, bigger dudes at the center position, if you know who I'm talking about. There's another one outside of Derek Nix that I'm completely Derek blanking Nicks, on. Adrian Payne, Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman's a great example of one. I mean, yeah. Jaron Jackson. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Nick Ward. Nick Ward. Thank you. Ward. That's who I was thinking of. Nick, Nick I mean, just Ward. big, beefy guys. And I'm like – these guys, I, 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 I'm praying for the opposition. <laughs> they, they, Michigan State plays a true, in, in a true essence, five-man basketball. So it's very rare. I mean, outside of like Amani Bates was supposed to be our next big player, and, and, and he decommitted and went to, I think, Memphis, I saw. But that was even odd for Michigan State to get such a big um, five-star, one-man type of player. Um, I think Miles Bridges was the closest I can remember to to, the, to that being sort of outside of our general culture. But Michigan State plays five man basketball, uh, and even like a Draymond Green, right? It's like kind of hard to believe, you know, looking the stardom that he's achieved and earned now that he was one of five back then at Michigan State. Obviously, he was the standout with his skill and his work ethic there, but it wasn't like, oh, give him the ball and everyone else clear out. No, we played five man system basketball, and that's why in March no one wants to play Michigan State because it's about guard play. It's about rebounding. It's about hard nosed basketball. And you can't just, no matter how good someone's going to be, you can't just roll the ball and watch him play. It's got to be five man basketball. And that's the culture that Michigan state brings. Yeah. There's a reason why Rothstein always tweets out 
January, February, Izzo, April, May, right? Yeah. And I, I definitely used to subscribe to that quite a bit as well. Um, and so you mentioned Draymond, and I know you're pretty close with him, at least on social media. I mean, Draymond will repost some of your some of your things on Instagram, which I think is very, very neat. Uh, did you really, like, be honest with me in your heart of hearts. Of course. I'll take you back. Let's go back to East Lansing, 2011. Did you think Draymond Green would be this successful? No. And, I mean, it, well, let me back that up. I, let me give you some context as well. I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Joe. I don't really like Draymond Green on the I mean, you're, He you're, rubs me the wrong way. You're, but, you're, you're, you're not an outlier in that regard, but let's see if I can make a believer out of you. So, Well, here's the thing. I, the, the only thing I was going to say before you give us your response, which I'm dying to hear, there's no denying he's incredibly successful. And he worked for everything. And he worked for everything. Did I imagine he would be where he is now? No. But I was always certain knowing who he is and knowing his mindset and knowing his work ethic, he would be a successful NBA player. I think stars align for him in a lot of ways. And I don't think he'd deny that, especially with the with the Golden State Warriors. But I don't ascribe to this concept that, oh, well, he lucked out uh, by going to the Warriors because they needed a player like that. Nah. Because someone in Draymond Green's uh, position who isn't as skilled and isn't a jack of all trades wouldn't have made that team and wouldn't be the tie that binds them. I think he deserves a lot more credit than he even really gets. And I think the, the true NBA veterans and the ones that recognize the basketball game is a, is a game of chess and see how to win games. Draymond Green, yes, he's not, he can't shoot like Steph Curry. Yes, he can't do all the things that Clay Thompson could do. Yes, he's not the biggest, the strongest, the most athletic, the best ball handler. But he does everything so efficiently and so intelligently. He's like a quarterback on the field. And it's like, unless you really have a higher level of appreciation for the game, you don't really see all those because they're intangibles. His box out, his pushing someone the other way, his long outlet pass, those things, and the guarding like the, the best player on the other team. To, not, to say nothing of his energy, he is just a player that is an engine and he's a winner. So you know, could he have done the same things on a different team? I think yes, because I think he still would have brought that junkyard dog attitude to every locker room. And he's not a player where he needs someone else to bring up his energy. He's going to go somewhere and be, you know, a, a player that brings folks with him. That's just how he always is. And it's like, you you see players like this and you look at their track record. It's not by some fortuitous providence that he's had success in his life. It's because of his work ethic. And the same thing happened at Michigan State. He was a leader. He made himself a leader. He put himself in those positions and he brought folks with him. So I, I, I am amazed at the things he's been able to accomplish, but at the same time, I'm not surprised knowing the kind of person he is and the kind of work ethic he has. I think it's also worth noting the distinct or the difference between being successful and being a winner. A lot of players, look, if you're, if you're a professional athlete, you're pretty damn successful, no matter what level you're at. You know, if you're the last man on the bench, you're still very successful. Draymond Green is a winner. How many Final Fours did he, did he go to multiple Final Fours at Michigan State or at the very least one? Yeah, no, no, no. I want to say our year we didn't go to a Final Four. We got we lost in the Sweet 16 to Louisville. Mm -hmm. But I want to say like two of the preceding years, um, not the year right before him, but I think the the, the two years prior with Darrell Summers, Kalen Lucas, Corey Lucius, Delvon Rowe. I, I, he might have been to one or two, maybe even three. So uh, you offer a very unique perspective because you've known him – pretty much since he got big time. I mean, college basketball diehards like us 
we knew Draymond Green, how really great he was in college, but you knew him really before the mainstream did. What really makes Draymond tick? I mean, I, so I'll, 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 I'll preface this. I don't know Draymond Green in the way like his very, very closest friends and family do. I mean, I like to say that I know Draymond Green well from our year of playing basketball and spending every single you know day together for this amount of time. And I consider him a good friend of mine, but I, I, I definitely don't know Draymond Green in the same sense that, you know, his best friend growing up or Travis Walton, who's been with him, you know, every day since. Um, I think we've got a good relationship. And I, I think he's, uh, and you had mentioned before, um, the fact that he reposts some of my stuff. It's trivial, right? That, you know, just a repost on, 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 on Instagram or whatever, you know, if you see some story. But I think that does, in a way, kind of speak volumes to who he is as a person, because I'm so you know, in terms of my basketball prowess, I was a walk-on at Michigan State. You know, I wasn't some big player, and he still keeps in good contact. And if I need to get tickets for Golden State Warriors game in San Francisco, I can pick up the phone and text him and, and, and get that done. Uh, and for a friend of mine who lived in San Francisco, he got uh, him and his girlfriend tickets to a game too. And I, I think, you know, that speaks to the kind of person he is. He isn't this player that, you know, has earned stardom and, 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 and clout and forgotten about the people uh, in his life before them. He's the polar opposite. He's always been someone who's given back from the places he's come from. Um, but in terms of what makes him tick, he's a winner. He just, I mean, he, he's a person that he, he really takes ownership of, you know, this is our team. This is our year. I'm a captain. And I think that's a recipe for success, no matter what your enterprise really is, is like, I'm taking accountability. I'm taking responsibility. This is my team. This is, you know, a reflection of who I am and my work ethic. And so if we fail, it's a reflection on me. If we win, it's also a reflection on me. And I think that's sort of an, a dogma or an ethos that he's going through his life with as far as, you know, uh, my, my knowing him goes. Certainly. You've dropped a lot of awesome names as well. Those, like I said, that a lot of names that college basketball fans will know. Uh, I'm looking at your right, Appling Brandon Wood, Nick's. Brandon Dawson, I think you mentioned in passing, Adrian Payne. Um, wow. Obviously, the walk-ons that you were sharing the court with during that uh, that play that made you YouTube famous, of course. Is there anyone that you guys – that you uh, stay stay in contact with very frequently? In terms of walk-ons or just regular players? Anyone from that team that you stay in, oh, in touch with? Yeah. Uh, Russell Bird is a very, very good friend of mine. I still I, – I probably text Rust every week. Um, Walk-ons, Keenan Wetzel and Dan Chapman uh, here and there. I mean, everything is social media, right? It's like you're following all these folks. You're seeing what's going on in their lives, but individual conversations since then. Brandon Dawson here and there, Kearney, Trice. Again, social media type things, just responding back and forth in DMs and whatever. Um, let me try to think of who else. Uh, God, there's some good players from that year. Uh, those are probably the main folks uh, from that year. Trice, I, I, I love Tra I love Travis Trice and Brandon Kearney uh, very frequently here and there. But Dawson, uh, here and there, not as much, but all really, really, really good guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a team that I really loved. And you had mentioned that you fell to Louisville. No shame in that. They ended up winning that year, didn't they? Is that the Peyton Siva, Luke Hancock team? Yes, that was Peyton Siva, Russ Smith. Uh, Luau uh, or Gorg Gorgie Jang, Zang. I always forget. It. I always butcher his name. You got it, uh, Gorgie Jang. Yeah, Gorgie Jang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I mean, they were phenomenal. And you're right. They went out to win the thing. So it's like at least we lost to the winners. But I mean, that's March Madness. You can have one bad game. You can be the best team in the tournament. Uh, and we were a number one seed that year. Uh, and you have one bad game, and you're out. And that's how it goes. 
describe being in that tournament setting, though. I mean, hell of a year for you to walk on, right? Michigan State is usually typically pretty damn good, but getting a one seed, that clearly means you're one of the four best teams in the country, at least in the eyes of many. Describe the pressure that went into every single practice game for the NCAA tournament, because we don't have a lot of people that have been exposed to that type of atmosphere. It's uh, it's pretty surreal. Like when we when we started our season, we weren't predicted to do very much, but we went on like a 16 game win streak to start the season. And I mean, it's owed a lot to the captains of that team and the culture of that team and, and Draymond Green and Izzo and everyone. Of course, it's a it's a it's a community effort. But after those 16 games, obviously, like 16 games in a row, you know, it was across the country that all right, this wasn't the team that we had sort of discounted. This team's a lot of synergies that we didn't even realize and pick up that would be on the, on the court. Um, and then as it's, you know, going into tournament time and we're leading the conference, uh, big game in Indiana, Northwestern that year, I think we lost at Northwestern. It's Big Ten is just such a battleground. I remember we won at Ohio State that year and there was a big, big win for us on the road uh, because the, the standings are always neck and neck in, in, in Big Ten. But, the, but then, yes, as we're going into the Big Ten tournament, the, the, the atmosphere really starts picking up. And this is when me as a walk-on in my first year, I was sort of a little bit like, okay, okay, this is big league. Because when you show up at these different tournaments, um, it's almost like the screaming fans and the Beatles that you'd see in the 60s with like fa- fans coming out. It's like there's like a sports center camera there. And like Jay Bylas is like on the court, like walking us through these things. And you, you pull up to these stadiums and there's all such a big Spartan community there. So we pull up to our hotel and everyone green and white uh, with these fans screaming and taking photos and everything. And then you get there and you're kind of isolated up in your hotel room while you're waiting to play. Um, and then March Madness is just a whole different level. Like I remember when, and again, like I said, you, 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 you sort of get a little bit desensitized because you're meeting all these famous people, which is, is sort of a sad byproduct, but a good product byproduct at the same time. But I remember b- before uh, Louisville or one other team that we were playing, we're doing a shoot around and it's Reggie Miller, who's just right at the sideline, just watching us. And I'm just like, I'm trying to act normal, you know, because I don't want to be such like a, a, a fan. Uh, but I'm coming down and like, that's Reggie Miller. And he's like, just saying hi, talking to a couple of folks. And then it's just that level in the stadium and the atmosphere. And then during the March Madness games, and like I got in in a March Madness game, I think our very first one, and I got an assist in March Madness. That's also like my other claim to fame to, to Alex Gauna. Um, it's, it was surreal for me because I, I felt a little bit of an imposter syndrome because I'm only six foot, almost six one. And I grew up watching March Madness and I was like, holy shit, I'm on the court now. And there's so many people watching me playing in March Madness. And I'm now on that court. It was a very surreal experience for me uh, being in that position. Well, I think it's very neat that we have your perspective as well. I know I've said that a couple times already, but we've interviewed guys like Chris Lofton, who was a stud SEC player of the year at Tennessee. But if we really peel back the layer and peel back the orange, I should say, that's a little pun for everyone, a little connection to the balls. <laughs> Shark will like that. But they're a football school, if we're being honest. We had Pantelis Zidius, who's a, a, a the last man for DePaul, who's an awesome interview, great player. Um, but DePaul is, hasn't really achieved a ton of success recently. Right. But you, on the other hand, like you had mentioned, the Beatles – Michigan State, East Lansing, it is Spartan basketball. And for as great uh, as the job as the football program has done, it is a basketball school. I'm very much of the, the, the school where you are either a football or basketball school. And usually within three seconds, if someone names me a school, I can tell you 
off the yep. top of my head, what I personally think they are. I think majority of the country would say the same thing for Michigan State. What did it mean to you to represent a pretty much a blue blood program? It was, I mean, there's there's different benchmarks where it was sort of memorable to me because I had I had um, I went to Michigan State with the intent to walk on. And I'd spoken, the coaching staff spoken. I'd sent them emails, unresponded to emails. My, my, my coach from high school sent them an email and whatever. And basically the response back, if anyone got one, was come to trials. Um, and so my freshman year tried out. But here's the thing. When you try out, I think it's per university policy, they have to have tryouts regardless. Regardless if they're going to pick anyone up. They might have a full roster, but players might transfer. Someone might get injured. So they have to hold these tryouts. And so when you're going to tryouts, you don't even know if they can pick anyone up that year. So you're going and just giving, you know, your left lung during a practice, not knowing whether or not you can even have a chance. So my freshman year, sophomore year, same thing, same thing, went to tryouts. And all these years, the coaching staff took down my name because I was performing extremely well during tryouts. Like take down my name and they'll be like, they're very discreet. Like, we'll see if we can call you, see if we can call you. Junior year, I break my hand before tryouts. Couldn't even try to walk on. Yeah, a terribly tragic story. Um, and three walk-on players got chosen that year and just devastating to me. Yeah. Right. After my freshman and sophomore year, I'm like, yo, you gotta be kidding me. Three plus three walk-on players get chosen that year. And so finally my senior year, I was like, all right, what the hell? And I was playing with them during the summer and doing intramural basketball. And I always had an intent to go to law school. So this wasn't like my primary thing, but still a, a very big goal of mine since going to Michigan state. And I, I wound up walking on my senior year with Colby Wallenman and so this is a, a long way of sort of background to, to, to my answer. But when I finally, I like different benchmarks, which was just surreal to me. Like I finally remember when they, uh, I got my jersey and it said Sweeney on the back of the name. And I was like, holy shit. Because I was telling people from back home, I was like, yo, I walked on. like, bullshit. The season hadn't started. I'm like, yo, I'm playing with them. Like I, I'm going to all the practices. Like, yeah, we'll see. If you're on the court, then we'll see. So I got my jerseys like, all right, wow, I can't fuck this up. Like I'm actually on the team. No matter how bad I play the rest of the year, they're not going to kick me off now. It's fucking stitched into my jersey. Um, that was a surreal moment. The first moment in Breslin where I got on the court during warmups. I was like, I, I guess I would say I was nervous, but I'm like on the court and like looking around and all these fans are staring at you. And I'm like, yo, I'm actually a player now on the court instead of an observer watching it. It just – Cause I'm not one of these big, tall six, seven kids that just comes natural. Like I had to work to get on the team and like, I'm like, Holy shit. Like it was like imposter syndrome. Like, Oh, I'm actually on the court with this team right now during warmups. Those were, uh, those are some of the more surreal moments in my, in my tenure there. Man, see, you should have grown the hair out to get, add a little, a couple inches in, in on your, uh, under your bio on the website, maybe that would have helped, man. You didn't do no. your, you didn't do yourself any favors with the buzz in terms of height, at least. No, I think it was Travis Trice and I were, uh, just about the same height, the two shortest guys. And it's funny because I'm a lawyer now and people are like, oh, you're so tall. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like I, I, I was growing up or I played basketball and I was always the shortest one of the team. So it doesn't feel like I'm tall at all. So you're in the locker room. You see your jersey, surreal moment. You, did you take, take a look around and see, holy shit, I'm also now with some guys that are for sure going to get drafted. I'm going to be with some guys that are for sure going to be playing in the NBA, obviously. I don't know. We've covered the Draymond thing. But at the very least – drafted NBA pros like you're playing with pros did that ever strike you as a surreal moment too I again there, there were times and sort of anecdotally after the first you know couple of days you're just 
you feel so like it feels so regular. It feels like normal. Like this is just your teammates. Like even Draymond Green, obviously the first people that the first person that people ask me about. I was never like, oh my god, look how good this person is. Even though he was, you know, eons better than me, he was just bigger, faster, stronger, and a bigger version of, of a great, great, great basketball player. Um, but there were moments like, again, anecdotally, where it comes like. Adrian Payne, I remember one time just I tried getting a rebound and I don't know why. And the staff, if anyone of them is watching, they probably remembers it because they they feel that all practices are filmed and they're like filming it with their cell phone afterwards, just making fun of me. But I go up to get a rebound and I'm like above the rim right here, right? And I have my hand in the bottom of the ball and it's like above the rim. Adrian Payne's hand is is like this on the ball. So he's he's yeah, like if you can envision it. So yeah, so he's coming from the side and he grabs it like this. And just boom, put back dunk, and the whole gym goes wild. And I look over at Izzo, he's like, "Look, is he one of those?" And that was a surreal moment for me because I was like, "All right, that is just next level athleticism that me in a trillion years can never get to." Uh, another moment with Keith Appling, who's you know uh, uh, McDonald's All American player. He had one dunk in practice where he's at, and, and again, it's like these are these are moments that are not going to have that footage still, but just ingrained in my memory where he's at the top of the lane. And he cuts through and he splits a screen and he must have taken one dribble from the three point line and off two feet, chest to chest. His, his right foot was, it seemed like was near the foul line off two feet and just banks. And he's like maybe a quarter inch an inch taller than me. It was one of the most insane moments I've ever seen. Just athletically, I just could not believe it. It is, it is wild. I always tell people when they're sitting on the couch and they're saying he, he's so slow on that play. He's X, oh, Y, and no. Z. And I'm like, you know, go no. to any of these. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too, as a fan, yeah. but you go to, it's, it's incredible. If you go to these games in person, you can see how wildly athletic and the clear cut difference between a civilian oh. like myself oh, and, no. and Adrian Payne. I can, for any viewers out there that are wondering, you have no idea what you're talking about. Cause here I am. Like if you were to meet me at a bar, you'd be like, all right, this kid's kind of tall, but I would just be like a regular pro it is just a different level. Like yep. Keith Appling is one player that stands out to me. He, he's just a little bit taller than me, but he can do things that are just physically impossible for someone this tall to be able to do. Brandon Dawson is just a machine. Uh, the things he could do on a court, even Brandon Wood, uh, who is maybe two or three inches taller than me or something like that, could just do dunks, you know, holding the ball down by his ankles. It's like the, the folks, the civilians that think, oh, yeah, you know, I played, you know, high school basketball. You know, I, I was, you know, you, you get those kids. Like I was a linebacker back in my team when back when we won state, bro. It's like, all right, get on the court with these kids. And they're, they're just a different breed of athlete. Like you, they can just do things that you just would not believe on the court. It's just, it's truly unbelievable until you actually are living it. It's just I believe it. No, I, I, I'll take your word for it 100%. So everyone has a role to play on a team. Like you've mentioned, again, pretty much the entire roster, and that includes off the court as well. Yeah. Take us inside the locker room before a big conference matchup, before the Big Ten tournament, maybe before the NCAA tournament. Was there something – and you had mentioned what you were doing with Charlie Bell. I mean, you're you're riling him up a little bit. Was there someone who was the joker? Was there someone who was the, the stoic, serious guy, do not talk to me 30 minutes before the game, the one who would go around and dap everyone up maybe, yelling in their ear? Who are the who are those players in in this uh, in this troop? I, I think you always had you everyone on the team that year was all sort of good natured and good spirited and got along with one another. 
it would just sort of ebb and flow depending on the team we're playing. Like we're playing some scrub team that we're just going to blow up by 40. No disrespect to whoever those teams are, but there's some just schedule games that you're just going to – you're messing around a little bit. But if you're playing like a bigger conference rival, Izzo's sitting there watching y'all. You're not going to fuck around in the warm-up lines. You're not going to be dicking around here and there. And some players would try to do that. They try to like this to make you laugh because it, because then you're just going to get your, your ass chewed out by Izzo if you're joking around. But that <laughs> that year we were – it was, a, it was a good camaraderie on the team. Um, and I think I, just from my limited perspective, which was extremely limited, uh, I was I had a unique perspective because I was already a senior. Like it was my first year playing the team, but I'd already had three years of college experience. I'd already lived the college experience. So like, for instance, right, Travis Trice, who's, you know, 10 million times better than me at basketball. He was also my junior in a way because he was a freshman to my senior. So it was a weird dynamic for me because I didn't have the, the awe when I went in Brandon Kearney, Brandon Dawson and Trice and, and Keith, because they were so much, they were still like these 19 year old kids to me. Um, and, and I remember being, being at the bar one time, my buddy was saying that he's like, I never seen a dynamic. Like you're usually the walk-ons are like, just, just, just so soft-spoken. I was like, yeah, but I'm not like, these kids are younger kids to me at the same time. Um, but that year, you know, in the warmups and pregame sort of stuff, it's it's serious, you know. You you're joking around in practice, but during before the game, um, especially before Izzo comes out and gives a little bit of a speech, you know, you're sitting in your locker room. You're over here, uh, you, know, you know. It's a big series, and there's a lot of money on the line too in terms of college basketball and advertising. It's a very serious business, um, so you know, there's no fucking around in pregame sort of stuff like that. Um, and then at halftime. Bro, if we're not playing well, you are going to hear every second of that halftime, you know, break that you get is going to be right in your eardrums like you wouldn't believe. Um, and then after the game, one, one thing I, which I will say, which was I, I found very unique to this atmosphere, is Izzo never yelled after the game, which is atypical for Izzo because he yells over everything that he could possibly do in the, in the best way possible. But that was one rarity, no matter how angry he is at halftime. And he could be like blood boiling furious after the game. And I thought that was a, a good leadership tactic because what, what more is your yelling going to do? The result is done. We need to prepare for the next game. That was something unique to Izzo. After every game, he'd unpack it. He'd come back down where he was. And he said, hey, you know, this, this is some places where we played terrible. This is some places where we did really well. Here's some areas where I told you we needed to work on that we didn't. But he never he, he never – no matter the tirade he might have just been on before, and no matter how justified it was, because a lot of times it, they were, after the game, that atmosphere is cool down, recollect, game plan for the next for the next game, because that's all there is to it. You know, you know, move on and move onward. What a nugget! I wouldn't I wouldn't have guessed that. That's a great nugget that you're able to share there. Now, I'll be honest with you. You're right. That is a terrific leadership tactic, but it doesn't necessarily make for great podcast audio so what i'm asking you now is was there ever a halftime or maybe in practice where you guys weren't taking it too serious too seriously was there ever a time that stands out in your head where i'm like god damn Izzo is going to rip our hearts out and throw it in the tall grass there was one in particular that i will never forget for the rest of my life and i wonder if he remembers this but it was austin thornton uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what he did, but it was it was at the Breslin Center in the auxiliary gym, 
And I think as it was just in one of those moods today, I think it was a little bit preconceived and Austin Thornton just had to fuck up something. I don't think it was necessarily targeting. Like it could have been anyone in this, in this, in this radius. I think Austin Thornton just happened to like, I think you just dropped the pass or something that's stupid. And Izzo went off and why I went off just screaming, huffing and puffing. And why this one stands out, because there's many times where, where that where that did happen, but there was many times, and, and, and why this time stood out is because his face was so purple. It went from red to purple, and then Austin is just doing the right thing, because the only thing you can do in this situation is just like this. Yes, because yes, because the Austin got to a point, Terry, you got to the point where he was like concerned. He's like, coach, it's going to be okay. Like he literally went over to Izzo because he was like concerned about his well-being from how purple he was. He said, coach, it's okay. It's, I'm never going to drop a pass. I don't even know what he said, but it got to a point where he literally like went from like a boot camp like this to like, coach, you're fine. I'm never going to do it again. And everyone was kind of like, holy shit, dying laughing. That is something else. And Austin Thornton, he's a coach now, isn't he? Yeah, he's on the staff. I don't know what his uh, official title is, but he's back in the program in East Lansing, yeah. He's back with the program. Okay. I, I, so I, I thought I saw him last. Maybe Whether, like a high school head coach or something like that, but he's he's back with the program. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's – I don't know what his title is. He's officially affiliated, but I, I know he's frequently back there, whether it's in the summer helping out with training and stuff. And I, I see him back there from time to time, yeah. That, that, is, that is an absolute laugh riot. So, again, I'm looking at your roster, and everyone outside of two players was from the Midwest or the East Coast. Yeah. Now, we've discussed this on our program before. I'm from the East Coast. Sharks from the East Coast. Taylor's a West Coast guy. I went to Arizona as, as well as Taylor. Shark went to BC and Tennessee Law School. So we've had this discussion. I think it's it's a, a discussion that a lot of people have thought about. Um, for Michigan State, is 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 there in terms of guys that Izzo recruited? Was it more of like, hey, I want to go get salt of the earth guys from the Midwest? Or was it more of like, hey, we just need to dominate this area of recruiting because there's still plenty of talent? Like, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of West Coast people or a West Coast pipeline going to East Lansing. I, so I can't speak to their specific recruiting strategies, but I think the proof is in the pudding. Like you just said, if you look at the rosters year in and year out, they are predominantly the Midwest areas. And I think it's sort of part and parcel, right? Because these are also the same kids that grew up watching Michigan State. You know, you're not going to find kids that, you know, from Santa Monica that aren't UCLA fans. They're not going to be, you know, kids in Malibu that are rooting for Michigan or Ohio State. That's just not really how it works. It's very geographically based. Um, as to like specific strategies of recruiting, I don't exactly know how, what considerations go into that, but it is definitely a geographic footprint. But you got to remember too that. Think of that Big Ten conference, how many other schools you're competing with for recruiting. Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, uh, you know, Northwestern for, for the Chicago kids, University of Illinois, and now Maryland, even on the East Coast, um, Rutgers now too. So, so it's a very competitive recruiting pool for sure. Absolutely. And I think one area uh, where you guys have the edge is the Breslin Center. Yeah. What a venue that is. For me, there was a list that came out last week, and I thought it was complete garbage because the Breslin Center wasn't in the top 10, but there was a lot of – it was pretty much like the best home courts in America or something like that. And I think even Allen Fieldhouse was at at number four, uh, which in my opinion is – that's the number one place I want to go is Lawrence, Kansas for, for a basketball game. But you've had so many great memories in the Breslin Center. Can you describe what it's like? And you you even mentioned this as a, it being a surreal moment when you walked out – 
for layup lines or warmups. But when that crowd is on full tilt and you are in a heated battle and you got the is own going, what is that like? The is own, the, the, the fans there are, it, it's deafening, I guess is the, is the best word that you can use for it. It is just an atmosphere like none other because once, you know, you go on a big run there, you can't hear anything else. Like, it's just you can't hear, you know, what the coaches are saying, what the players are saying. You kind of get lost in the moment a little bit. And that's something that it's, it's hard to pick up on when you're watching the games on TV. Like, I noticed that my first year when I was watching these games, like, dude, you can't really – it doesn't really come across to someone sitting on a couch of how loud and crazy rock in that place goes. But um, one thing that Izone does in particular is right in the, the, first, the first point of, this, uh, of the game, they blow up all these paper bags. And then as soon as the per- – First point is scored. They pop them all, so it sounds like a gunshot goes off in the in the, in, the, in the residence center from the first from the first get go. It's a, it's a crazy atmosphere. Now, is that for any first point scored, any or like Spartans, Michigan State's first point, but any game? Yeah, wow, it's wild. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for that. And you know what? Because ESPN, all these broadcasts, they do a terrific job, which they have to. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to hear the commentators at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that was a thing at the Breslin Center. So you look for it. If you see in like the, the peripheral, the camera view, you'll see like these white bags kind of floating around from time to time. Yeah. No, that that'll be that'll be my homework assignment for the first game. So Breslin Center, obviously a very difficult place notoriously for opponents to play. That was your home, Jim. Tell us a little bit about some of the venues where you walked in and the team, I don't know if rattled is the proper word, but maybe you got heckled as a walk-on, or what were some of the toughest venues? that you played in that year at, at Michigan State? Without, without a doubt, and there's no close second, it was Assembly Hall. Uh, at IU, um, that stadium, the, it was like when I say deafening at the Breslin Center, I mean, you can't really compare the two uh, because the, the shape of the stadium alone, IU is kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been, but it, it's almost like a high school basketball stadium in that you don't have layers of, of, like, um, of uh, sections. It just kind of goes up like this. And so it's like this amphitheater. And I think like acoustically, I mean, you'd have to get a different expert to sort of opine on how the acoustics work in the gym, but it is, it's just like, it's like a pressure. You can almost feel like literally feel the noise when you walk in because it's just like, it hits you when you're walking outside from the locker room and they've got like their, um, what are those called? The uniforms they were the long red stripes and everyone's wearing those and everyone's like the carnival warm-ups and stuff. Yeah. Of- yeah yeah yeah. so that one i will never forget playing there just the atmosphere and it feels like because the walls go up it's not like this it feels like they're like right here so like the fans i feel like are closer to you at the same time and it feels like they're going up on a wall it was i'll I'll never forget that one for the rest of my life assembly hall is just nuts I'll tell you what, that list that I was referencing that I thought was garbage, it didn't have assembly hall on it. That's another place that I want to get to. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those areas or one of those arenas where you can really feel it. I don't know if you're actually, this might've been either the year prior. I think it was the year prior to you playing. Do you remember that game Kentucky versus Indiana? I do. And they rushed the court and who hit the game winner? Christian Watford. Yeah. Watford, Watford. Yeah. Um, I, I do remember that, uh, that game, that was right before, that was the season before I, I think yeah. I'm getting my sort of messed up. Um, but that was the season before I, I walked on and that was, I think that was Anthony Davis's year. It was, they ended, that was the, I think that was like their only loss of the year. It might've been, they went out to win it, right? They had yeah, like, they went on to win the national titles. 
they had one of the, the, the twin brothers. I forget who they had that year, but they were insane. Yeah, um, I mean, they were amazing. That Kentucky yeah. team was terrific, but yeah, yeah, yeah. assembly hall looks, looks absolutely wild. Uh, along that same line, you've been in a ton of film and video sessions. Was there one person or team opponent, I should say, and it can be a team. It can be an individual player where, I don't know, maybe the coaching staff stressed a little bit more. I mean, I, I doubt they would ever say like, holy shit, we're in trouble because this guy's amazing. But was there ever one player or team that you can remember in film session where there was a bit more emphasis? Uh, Harrison Barnes for UNC. And I only remember this one because that was one of my first. So if you recall, Michigan State played UNC on the air, aircraft carrier. Were you on that team? So I was on the team. And, and this is it goes back to before what I was saying. My friends didn't believe me that I had walked on. I had only walked on officially because they have tryouts and then you come the next day, you get a call back and then it's sort of like a rolling tryout. It's like you fuck up in three weeks and they could kick you off the team. So at that point I was still kind of like going, I was at practice every single day, but it was, it was before I got my Jersey. So the team all goes this aircraft carrier and I literally missed the boat, like no pun intended, but like, like I, I wasn't able to go on the boat trip, even though I walked on that year. And I remember Harrison Barnes because I mean, you do it when you had Sullinger that year for, 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 for Ohio State. It's not like you're boosting them up. You're just saying, hey, look, these are our areas of concern. These players are, you know, the best players. Here's their tendencies. And I remember I was such a rookie. And they're like, this is when I'm still getting to know the folks in the team, too. And I was a fan of Harrison Barnes at the time. So I watched, like, his YouTube videos and stuff. And I remember Izzo, or I think it was Izzo, yeah, was saying, like, oh, you know, Harrison Barnes is not a – not a, a great three-point shooter. And me just being impulsively, I was like, hey, man, I think the guy can shoot. And, like, practice kind of stopped that I would have the fucking gall to, like, question Izzo. But I, like, watched all this guy's mixtapes, too. I was like, hey, that's a mistake. And that one stuck out to me because all the players, too, were like, who the fuck is this kid, like, trying to question Tom Izzo on, like, a, 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 a scouting strategy. Uh, but I remember that one in particular because Harrison Barnes went on to play with, with, with Day-Day at, uh, on the Warriors. Um, I mean, different career tra- trajectories since then, but I remember Harrison Barnes. What, I mean, the time goes on, but him at UNC was just insane. He, I think he had a game where he went to Clemson and dropped 40, which is absurd for He's a college insane. player. Yeah, no, no. And, and they beat us that year on the aircraft carrier, and Obama was there and everything. And it, yeah, that was, that was one that sort of chaps my ass because I just walked on like two weeks prior. And so obviously they're not going to take me in a boat when I could, you know, drop the ball uh, after that. But that was my year, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's you have, you have, oh, at some point I got a box of jerseys over here. I have that Jersey. Oh, wasn't it the, it, it was yeah. like camouflage. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we got it. We got to get a picture of that or something. We'll tweet it out, but yeah. I mean, I, I wish they could bring those back. I know there were some issues with the condensation and it wasn't necessarily safe for some of the players on the court. Cause I don't, it's I don't wet, remember it. it's slick. Yeah. The atmosphere. It's like you're playing an aircraft carrier outside of like San Diego or something. So no, that, that strikes me as, as, as something that probably occurred, but I don't even remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so assembly hall, probably the best. You said no, no, no close second. What's the latest arena you've been in? I mean, you guys walk in and you're like, God damn, how am I supposed to even get hyped for this? I I don't know that I was at a lame arena, but in terms of uh, opposites of like an assembly hall, Illinois was all right. Wow. Okay. Illinois, and I don't want to discredit the university. Hey, right? man, you don't have to be political here. Be, be, 
brutally honest with us. I have to admit, I am a lawyer now. Uh, but no, uh, it, it just in terms of like the Big Ten landscape, because uh, I remember Ohio State's was rocking. You just got to go from one end to, to the spectrum to the other. Um, uh, but it's all, you know, relative. Um, Minnesota, but I feel like Minnesota was cool in the same sense because the, the, if you recall, uh, Minnesota, you're sitting below the court. So it's like one of these unique stadiums. The players are like eye level with the court. It was really, really cool to play there. Um, the Minnesota's I actually liked. It wasn't the loudest one, but it was such a cool like, – because you're playing almost on like a platform when you're up on the court. It's cool. What about Northwestern? Northwestern. So I didn't travel for every game. The walk-ons, how it's based is that before each game, um, you're scouted. Like, so that's what, that's what they refer to like the walk-on players as a scout team. So like before you play uh, a team, you have to, all the big, big 10 teams know each other's plays because they play each other every single year, twice a year. Um, if you have a style of play that is similar to someone on their team, then you simulate that player. So, like, I had the honor of, 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 of scouting uh, Peyton Siva when we played Louisville, for example. Uh, and if we That's played amazing. Ohio, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I couldn't emulate him if I tried. But uh, <laughs> if we played Ohio State that year, I forget who their big jack, uh, uh, or maybe it was Wisconsin. One of them had a – no, Kraft. Kraft was Ohio State. Kraft. Yeah, yeah. So I had to simulate him in practice. But long story short is if you're on the scout team, if you're walking and you're simulating a different – team's players but your styles don't line up then you don't travel with the team to that game because during the pre during the travel during the practices before then you have these players simulating getting your team ready so northwestern for whatever reason uh wasn't one of the games that i traveled to um so i can't speak to 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 their stadium one way or the other i can speak to their plays bro they like northwestern being such an academic university their stack of fucking plays i'll never forget it because it's like you're playing michigan they've got like three or four pages <laughs> Northwestern had like an almanac and like like fourteen different out of bounds places. Like you fucking geeks, goddamn! Because it makes me hard to walk on. So I got to learn all this shit. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Is that a Michigan State thing though for the the walk on policy that you had there, or do you think that's the case with? I mean, obviously you don't have insight into other what other teams are doing, but is that across imagine, the board? I imagine it's something similar. Um, but I, I, I can't, you're right. I can't speak to how uh, other universities did it. That's funny. Um, just a few last couple questions for you here, Joe. No, of course. Main rival in the big 10. Who would you Michigan. say it was? Michigan. Even then in like 2011, 2012, were they even that great that year? doesn't matter. They could be the best team in the country. They could be the worst team in the country. The rankings are all off. You know, how these rivalry games go and like it, it sort of goes full circle back to what we were speaking. It's cultural. You know, they're the white collar team, we're the blue collar team, and we want it that way. We keep it that way. Um, so, and it's it's it's, it's the waters run very deep, right? Because it's like you have family members in connection. Your cousin went to Michigan. This other person was in East Lansing. Like, you have very very deep family regener- family generational rivalries that go into that one. And then it's bragging rights. That's of course the best part is for the rest of the year you get to just gloat about it. And I, uh, you follow Draymond Green. I think he and if he, if he winds up playing with a player on his team that went to Michigan, they'll, the other one will have to take a picture wearing the opponent's jersey still to this day. So bragging rights, is, it's a, without, a, without question, is Michigan. But, no, no without a doubt, and I, mean, I think Izzo's on record and what he sort of stated is like, and I think it's true, it's like we respect Michigan tremendously, uh, their, their, their coaching staff, you know, their programs, the way that they run it. It's, it's a tremendous institution, but do we like them? No. 
you know, I, I think those things are, are, are mutually exclusive. So you can have tremendous respect for them, but not like them one bit. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, I, it must've given you a little bit of a Grinch smile to see them go over their last two in their, in the title game, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's no love lost. Like uh, I'm working at a, at, a, at a law firm here in, in Chicago called Greenberg Traurig and, and the first couple, uh, the first couple days, it's like the associates that I met, or, or I think one was even a shareholder, were uh, Michigan alum. And so they just gave me the rub on it. And, and it, whatever, it comes to the territory, but it's like, oh, God damn, this is going to just stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, it's nice, though. At least you got a, a super strong allegiance. I'll get you out of here on this, Joe. And this is probably the biggest question because we are a couple guys that pretty much we we think some of the, the greatest supporters of teams are coaches wives and i think the number one in college basketball is lupe Izzo. have you met lupe is she terrific or what i have and she's a complete sweetheart um and Izzo, he does every year he has the alumni back i forget which game which which date it's titled or it's tied to um at his house um and she's just an incredible host she's she's got such a personality she's very humble soft-spoken and I remember one specific example. Um, there was a game like after I had finished playing and I was in New York, it, it might've been a big 10 game or March Madness game. And I had gone to the game in Manhattan in Madison Square Garden. And I was just walking down to say what's up to, to the coaches and go courtside and just say, say what's up to everyone that I was there. And I passed her and she called me out. And I was like, wow, because we had never spoken. I mean, we'd spoken in passing, right? While I was there. And that spoke a lot to me that she's like, Sweeney. And I was like, really? I didn't know that you would even remember who I was while I was playing. And my mom, I think my mom, yeah. So I brought my mom to that game and she was super sweet. She's like, we loved your, your son while he's playing on the team, but just an angel, just, just a complete sweetheart. And so is, uh, is son and daughter and is son's on the Michigan state team now. Um, super respectful kid too. I went back to, I, I go back from time to time, you know, wh- wh- whether I'm visiting a friend in Michigan, I'll, I'll always make a point to stop by in East Lansing and say hi to the coaching staff and the players. But I recall, uh, is it was son? Like whenever I go there, he'd walk up and just ask me how I'm doing. Those small little things—they speak to who you are as a person. And it speaks to Michigan State's culture. Uh, I remember Cassius Winston, for example, same sort of thing. Like my first name basis, he'd come by and say, "Hey, what's up, man? How are you doing?" Not just like your routine small talk. He'd make a point to come across the court. Um, and I think I don't know. To me, the, the, those things are important. To me, those things speak to the culture that Tom Izzo brings. And I mean, just to sort of close it out, you know, as we're going towards the end, is like. It's crazy to think that Michigan State in the Tom Izzo era is is numbered. You know, I don't think he's any he's not too near to retirement. And I haven't heard rumblings, but you know, he's he's up there. And so, you know, these days don't last forever. But to think of Michigan State without Tom Izzo, it's kind of even hard to imagine that university without him because he's just larger than life. And you know, the things he's done for me in my life and in the in the model he's played in terms of, you know, uh, your work ethic and, and how to be as a person regardless of, of your pursuit. Uh, as a person in life, I, I could never pay back in a million years. He's just been an incredible role model and an incredible sort of figure in my life. Basketball is family, and it's it, it couldn't be – we can't find a truer example, I suppose, than, than the boys out in East Lansing. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this as well in terms of his tenure. I think outside of Coach K, there's no other iconic or right. successful coach where – he was there even before I started watching college basketball, like with the same team. And and you talk about Roy Williams. Roy Williams was at Kansas when I really started watching college basketball. And then he went to Carolina. But a lot of people forget that 
he made his he made his money at UNC even before that with MJ. But if you really think about it, the two mainstays that haven't left their their programs is really K and and Izzo. And K's done after this upcoming year. I could be wrong. I'm thinking of it now in the moment. But is there anyone else that you can think of that's been at no. that one program? I, I think you're exactly right. And what I will say is what's so incredible about Tom Izzo is you you compare the national championships, yes, but if you look at like Final Fours and Elite Eights and uh, conference championships, look at what Izzo does with what he has. We don't always have your McDonald's All-Americans. We don't have the top recruits. So that speaks to the quality and, and value he brings as a coach. He's doing everything at this stature, at this level, with five players. You don't have like a Marvin Bagley. You don't have a, a Vince Carter. You don't have these types of players or Zion Williamson that come to Michigan State. Miles Bridges was probably the closest, I think. I, I don't know in terms of stature, highest ranking. Jaron Jackson was up there, but we don't have – like, yes, obviously, if you compare us to like Bradley or you compare us to like Northwestern, of course, we are in the big leagues and we are in the blue chips. But once you're at that echelon, we don't have nearly remote the type of firepower as these big universities like Kansas, Kentucky, Memphis that we're being compared to. Uh, and if you if you think about Tom Izzo from that perspective, it makes it all the more impressive that he's at that stature with those five player teams that he has. It's just incredible what he's able to do. It is. I'd be remiss before getting out of here if I didn't say that uh, Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim still going yes. strong at Syracuse. Forty two uh, goddamn years there. That guy. That guy doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. So his yeah. son too, right? His son's a player. His players in the team too. Yeah. yeah. Buddy Beheim's back. So yeah, it, it, it's wild though. I'm sure if you ask Beheim and Izzo. Like you're coaching, you're going to out coach your kids out to college uh, after college, right? Yeah. You would think so, but yeah, I think that's the big triumvirate. There is Coach K. You got at Duke for seven years. Yeah, crazy. Bayheim at Syracuse, and of course, Tom Izzo at Michigan State. I'm sure Bill he was Self, very Bill happy. Self. Bill Self, we can't forget Bill Self. Bill Self was at Kansas for sure, but I remember him even being at Illinois prior to that. Uh, so your your basketball knowledge is probably even better than I because you're going back deep there. I mean, I think he was in at Illinois, maybe 2002, 2003. But you know what? Self is right there on the edge. You're, yeah. you're absolutely correct. Izzo, Izzo is iconic. And, it, you know, that goes back as far as – I don't know when he first started, but uh, he was after Judd and, 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 and Mateen Cleves is his first championship, and he's just been there bringing it through ever since. It's it's impressive. Very. The the dinosaur jerseys, man. You guys got to bring those. I think you have the Flintstone jerseys. That's what they call them. Yeah, yeah the Flintstones. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, Sweeney, thank you so much for for jumping onto the program. Amazing stories. We will get you back on uh, if possible during the season to see how your Spartans are doing. All right, definitely. definitely. I, I don't know. I haven't checked like the standings and everything. I've been so tied up and traveling a lot, but uh, it's starting here soon, right? I mean, October uh, preseason. I think we've got about seven weeks. Yeah, seven weeks. So no, I, I'm excited. I watch. I'm religiously. I don't miss a single game. So. Just let me know, and I'll hop back on, and hopefully uh, the Spartans will be putting on a good year this year. All right, we want to thank Joe for jumping onto the program, shared some terrific stories. Shark, let's go ahead and get the hell out of here. Can we please get the hell up out of here on some Friday Bracketology? Like we said, Heineke got you out. Tell us what. Tell us some Friday bracketology. Heineke might put me back in this week. I'm nervous about this game against Atlanta. He also looked pretty poorly against Buffalo. But I got sent into this by Heineke, so this is what uh, motivated it. So Friday bracketology sent the tweet mid-September, but the last four in Heineke was obviously the first one. Ted Lasso, father, I'm not sure if you're in on that show or not, but I'm a huge fan. 
Love that show. So pleasant. Puts me in a great mood every single time. I love Ted Lasso. Rounding up for charity. That snuck into the last four in as well. Sometimes I'll go to like a Chipotle and they'll be like, hey, bud, you want to round up two cents just to make that, you know, 1098 and 11? I'll be like, why not? Yeah, I'll give, I'll throw you two cents. It makes no difference to me. It's, I'm never going to do anything with those two cents. And that slowly builds up, right? You start building, start building that foundation. If I'm doing two cents over in Massachusetts, maybe we got another guy out in Albuquerque doing two cents. Next thing you know, we're all coming together. We're building, we're building a good little coffer uh, right there. And then the last thing I had for last four in was cover bands on Friday nights in college football towns. Um, I'm speaking mainly of Knoxville from, from my experience, but really just anywhere you can get that band that's playing before your team plays. Um, gosh, just love, love a good kind of terrible band that's never done anything with their career, but they'll go to the same place every single Friday night in the fall and just tear the roof off. Wait a minute. Did you, did you, you didn't give us the, the fourth. I mean, we let in with him. You just Heineke, Ted Lasso, rounding yeah, up for charity. Yeah, Heineke's number one. All right, good. You want me to keep going on Heineke? I'll, you know, you got, you got an afternoon. I'll spend all afternoon on him. I love it. All right. They say he's the, you know, they say he's the, they literally say this. No one has ever gone through five progressions faster than Heineke. And that's what makes him good. He's got an arm like me. You know, he can't throw it anywhere. It would be literally like putting me out there and having me, you know, play against a defense. Jalen Hurts a couple nights ago couldn't even go through one. Or maybe he did one and that exactly. was it. Heineke would have been zipping through that like no problem. Once he throws it, you're kind of hold, holding on to your butts a little bit. But, I mean, he he goes through five faster than anyone. And I'm, the not to brag I was going to mention is I was actually, you know, kind of tearing it up as a little, as a uh, intramural participant, scrambling quarterback um, way back in the day at Tennessee. But anyways. I, I, yeah. Hey, I asked you if any of you guys or any of our friends had any eligibility left because – like we mentioned at the top of the program, sure. Arizona walk-ons, baby. Not interested. Um, okay, but yeah, th- that was the four. I did the four. Heineke, love that guy. Hope hopefully he can stay upright and get have his have his opportunity. First four out. Here we go. First one I put it was fifteen yard penalties. Um, I think I just think it's too much. A lot of times you're getting like ticky tack face mask and you're getting fifteen for that. Um, sometimes it's just like a random little shot, like two people blocking someone on a kick return. In the new NFL, you got two people blocking. You're allowed to do that. It's 15 yards. Are you kidding me? We're gonna we're gonna take you know that much of the field away from someone. So it just frustrated me. Frustrated me. I know it's not the greatest one in the world, but put it out there. holding being 10, I think, is more of a gripe. I'll 10 yards is a lot. Now that completely is, that completely torpedoes a play for a penalty that doesn't seem that egregious. It's a big deterrent, though. You know, you got to get these, you got to have that hanging out there. It is a very subjective call, too. Sometimes you'll see refs that are throwing the flag before the ball's even snapped. It's like he hasn't even helped yet. You just wanted to call that hold. All right. Anyways, after 15 yard penalties, traffic. I, I actually sent this out when I was in traffic. It was frustrating me. Um, so the Heineke and the combination of the traffic is what led to this Friday bracketology in, in, my, in my hiatus that I was on. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday snuck in there. I hate Tuesday. Uh, in fact, this is Tuesday that we're recording this right now. It's been a rough day. Tuesday is a terrible day, um, especially during football season. You got nothing. Nothing. Sucks. Hate Tuesday. And then the last one is people that unnecessarily put LOL or LMAO at the end of a thought or a text message. Um, 
that's a lot of people. So I'm sorry for this is the first time I've confronted people about me being frustrated with that, uh, but it sucks. You know, just, you don't have to put the LOL at the end. Like I got your thought. Um, you don't have to kind of show some type of, like, uh, what's the, it's a softening mechanism. You're trying to be like vulnerable a little bit. Yeah. The they want to like, soften yeah, the message. I'm so confident in this thought. Let me throw an LOL. No, dude, that's your thought. Get rid of the LOL. All right. I, you don't need to soften the blow. Just deliver your thought. Yeah. I think uh, along that, that same line, I've become an exclamation point at the end of emails guy. And I hate what I've become. It's terrible. It's, it's it depends on the audience. You know, if you don't know the person well and you don't want to come across as cold and callous, then it's nice to kind of send him one of those. Let, let that person know that you're, you're good. All right. We're, we're exclaiming over here. Yeah. But um, if I, if I start building a relationship with someone, I have to first start out by, not being cold and callous. And now if I just stop with the exclamation marks, they're gonna be like, Oh, is he mad at me? This is the reputation that I've now built myself. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of um, unspoken communication that goes with how we communicate. Um, didn't to me, that's cinema. That's, that's a, not, not, not bad right there. Right? No, I was about to say, I, I, cause I already forget the direct quote. That's poor. That was poorly communicated. You just okay. said communicate a couple of times. Also no, uh, to me, that's cinema. No, I know. But previously, yeah. like right before Public that. Community. Oh, I told you, I'm just getting reps in right now. Okay. Uh, Tuesdays. I couldn't agree with you more. I've long stated that that's the worst day of the week. Not because there's nothing on, or shows. It's just you got you're you're in a barren wasteland right now. Everyone thinks Monday is terrible, but when in reality, everyone else is in the same boat. Everyone else knows that Mondays suck. So a lot of people they'll have mercy. They won't say, "Look, let's put an eight thirty nine a.m. call on a Monday." Everyone knows that we're all we're all dying here together. Tuesdays though, Tuesdays is when everyone is like, "Look, let's get back into the swing of things." We got calls packing up your entire calendar, but you got nothing to look forward to. You're just in the middle of nowhere. What's tomorrow? Wednesday. Awesome. You're still super far away from the weekend. You're still two days away from Thursday night football. Nothing good happens on Tuesday. And I actually want to give a quick shout out to a local bar here in Chicago. It's called Trader Todd's. Woke up this morning with the news that it had been vandalized by some hoodlum, some asshole. Uh, Vandalized Trader Todd's, which is a great karaoke bar here in Chicago. And I mean, it, I just knew the only day that that news could be levied to me is on a Tuesday. And so it further enforces your point. It's a bad day, man. Um, that sucks for that, for that bar of yours. It's too bad that that had to happen. Hopefully they can get that figured out. Indeed. All right, let's go ahead and just get on out of here. Let's end this Tuesday. Uh, and we'll chat soon. Shark, welcome back. It's good to have you back, baby. Thank you very much. Sorry I was gone for a little bit, but, um, you know, be good. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. It's gonna be a bright